This is the Bonka Mavericks Podcast, episode 186. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Alon Ramiyasha, and today it is time once again to do a big old news roundup. And we are starting off the year by doing a huge roundup in all the news that came out at the end of the previous year. And boy, howdy, did 2021 leave us with a lot to talk about, a lot to chew over and reflect on, and report and announce. And we are going to do that all on this episode. Get the year off right by clearing out the old news and bringing in the new. Oh boy, yeah, we have a lot of news to talk about. A lot of Jump Festa stuff came out since the time we last recorded news. Uh, A lot of licenses, a lot of industry stuff. Like, there's too much to talk about. There's always too much to talk about with news episodes, but that's fine. Uh, That just means there's a lot happening in the in the manga and anime industry. So there's that. Um, We should probably talk about our survey again before we get into news, though. Indeed, our annual survey is still running, and it'll continue to run till February 6th. Once again, it is that time of year where we like to ask our listeners to let us know what their favorite episodes of our podcast in the previous year were, who their favorite guests were, what they're looking forward to most in 2022, who they'd like to see on in 2022 and their feedback on the show in general. And we really appreciate your guys' feedback, and it definitely helps us steer the course of the show and help make it even better. And as a special thank you to participants and our listeners who take the survey, we are also doing, once again, a annual giveaway, a special giveaway for people who take the survey, in which five lucky winners, five survey takers, will receive a volume of manga of their choosing from a collection compiled by both myself and Colton. And we have about 35 different individual books up for grabs, in addition to 30-ish volumes of Shonen Jump from this media, the old monthly Shonen Jump, available for you to take as well. A lot of cool stuff in our collection of titles that you can win as a special little prize, a special little thank you for taking our survey and just letting your tots and favorites of the show last year. So we really appreciate it and we want to give back as well to our listeners who help us out by taking the survey. So yeah, I, I look forward to the results of the survey every year. I'm looking forward to this year's results, seeing what people like most about the show in 2021. And excited to see who will win the giveaway and which books they'll claim as their prizes for this year. All right. Yeah, definitely. Please take the survey. We would love to know what you guys think about the podcast. And yeah, just let us know how we're doing. Like Lum said, tell us who your favorite guests are. Uh, and yeah, uh, we will definitely have a link to that survey in the show notes for you guys to take. Uh, like we said, you have until February 6th, we have plenty of time. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also interested in seeing what the results of this year's survey are going to look like. And yeah, uh, can't wait to go over that in the future and see how that turns out. But until then, we definitely have a lot of news to talk about, so we might as well just get started. And I think we're going to start off like we usually do with the newest New York Times graphic books and manga list. Uh, this one being for December 2021. And um, you know what? This this one will be pretty easy to go through because uh, in terms of manga specifically, um, not a lot of titles on this particular list. I mean, if you really want to be technical and pedantic, 
because sometimes I am. You could say that there's one one manga title on the list and the other being a, a Korean webcomic. Manwa, yeah, but, you know. It, it counts. Oftentimes they count it as a part of manga, manga adjacent, I suppose. Certainly there's crossover and appeal. No, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's just start right at the bottom here. At number 15, we have volume three of Solo Leveling, uh, which apparently I, I heard like just ended its run recently or is about to. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, it has started its ending. Yeah. I, actually, it did end indeed by the end of December. So Okay. Yeah. It's interesting to see a series that was quite big uh, and but yeah, I'm sure a lot of people uh, are looking forward to reading it to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Sort of tangentially related. Uh, I'm already hearing a lot of rumors about like an anime adaptation of this. I don't know if any of them are true, but it's it's like I've been saying on the podcast every time we bring up soul leveling. I would be shocked if this didn't get some kind of animated adaptation within like the next couple of years. Yeah, I think uh, it should be very likely considering how popular the series was. Mm-hmm. It definitely has its fan base. A lot of people love it. And I guess as for the other title on this list, uh, we have Attack on Titan Volume 34. The final volume of Attack on Titan at number nine on the list. Not that surprising to see Attack on Titan break the top 10 of the New York Times list. And yeah, like I said, those are the only two manga titles on this list. Uh, a lot of the list was taken over once again by Dave Pilkey and, uh, you know, stuff like Laura Olympus and Raina Taugemeyer stuff. Like all the usual stuff you expect to see on this list in particular, you know, with it being the, the general graphic novel sort of list. But yeah. Um, not really much to say on the manga front for this list, and uh, I guess we can go on to uh, to the book scan list for uh, November 2021, where I think we'll have a lot more to say considering what's on the list. Basically, for anyone who's uh, curious, just to kind of start off, the only non-manga title on this list for November that month was uh, Laura Olympus, uh, the first volume, the hardcover edition, and I'm assuming the standard paperback edition both ranking at numbers one and two, respectively. So that's the only non-manga title on the list. But as far as uh, the rest of the list is concerned, it's just all manga. Uh, all manga, all the time. You just can't get away from it. All manga, plus solo leveling once again. Yes, yes. Um. So let's just kind of start at the top of the list with, I think, probably the biggest surprise of this list in particular is that at number really? three on the list, I would say so, uh, because at number three on the list, we have the Demon Slayer complete box set. Not a single volume of Demon Slayer, the entire Demon Slayer complete box set series at number three. And I said it was surprising mostly because, I mean, maybe other box sets have like ranked on this list and I just don't know. But like, I think this is the first time I've seen a box set rank on the, uh, a manga box set rank on this list personally. I think box sets generally do, uh, I can't recall necessarily a specific example of one that topped the charts, but I did not find it that surprising that the box set would be the highest selling manga unit of the month, considering, I mean, it has the advantage of having a higher price point than an individual volume. So, you know, even less units of it uh, will ultimately reap, like, a greater, like, reward in terms of, like, how much money actually came in from it. But, yeah, no, I mean, Demon Slayer is an incredibly popular series, and I'm sure a lot of people were eager to collect the entire manga in the form of the box set. So, I was not surprised to see it top the charts and do so well, considering how 
how popular just individual volumes of Demon Slayer were. But definitely it seems a lot of the attention towards Demon Slayer sales came towards the box set since it does not have many other representatives uh, individually as far as individual volume goes on the list besides the final volume, Volume 23, ranking at number 18 on the list as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also, I'm kind of surprised that, like, uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't know, like, how this works, but I mean, I I know, I mean, in general with, like, a lot of, like, particular volumes of a lot of popular series have been going out of print a lot faster recently, what with everything going on, like, uh, I, I wonder if people bought this box set because they couldn't find, like, particular volumes as well, I wonder if that had any, had anything to do with that. Indeed, some have speculated that the box sets may have been purchased by retailers just to restock whatever gaps there were in the early volumes that were missing because of the print shortages and delays and stuff. So some there is some speculation on that end, but there can't be enough cases that would explain entirely the numbers that the box set pulled in in terms of how many units removed and how much it brought in. I think just generally <laughs> Demon Slayer is an incredibly popular series and people just really wanted to buy the box set. So No, for sure, it, for sure. Very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I might have to like look back and see because like I, I feel like this is the first like complete manga box set I've seen on here, at least as far as like any of the book scan lists we've talked about on the show, but also I could be misremembering maybe one other time we talked about this kind of thing ranking on the list. I don't really remember at this point. We've been doing the show for a while, um, but yeah, it's it's not something you see very often is the thing, so I would at least contest that, um, but again, D- Demon Slayer is probably one of the few things where a box set co- uh, containing the entire series could rank this high on the list, quite honestly. Now, imagine if they did a Chainsaw Man manga box set. That would probably rank just as high, honestly. Yeah, so I think a Chainsaw Man box set is not only an inevitability, but I think it will indeed do quite well when it comes out. Oh, man. Ch- Chainsaw Man Part 1 box set coming soon, hopefully. <laughs> I could see that happening. I'd be, I'd be surprised if it didn't, honestly. Uh, But all right, just to continue on with the rest of the list, uh, once again, we have Attack on Titan with Volume 34, ranking at number four on the list, uh, along with Volume 1, ranking all the way at number 15. Again, Attack on Titan, another usual suspect on this list, especially with the final volume being out. I'm sure a lot of people were very interested in picking that up. Yeah, beginning and the end. Nice, nice little bookend there, actually. Um... And then uh, next up, we have My Hero Academia, Volume 29 at number 5, along with Volume 2, ranking at number 8. I don't know what the print status of Volume 1 is, but I'm assuming so many people bought Volume 1 already that they now have moved on to Volume 2. It was only a matter of time. It's a reasonable theory that perhaps they're just, you know, shortages of Volume 1, but there's still high enough demand in the early series that Volume 2 has still seen a big traction in sales. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, And then I think uh, this is the title with the most individual volumes on the list comparatively with Chainsaw Man Volume 1, ranking at number 6, along with Volume 2, ranking at number 11, Volume 3 at number 12, and Volume 7 at number 19. Chainsaw Man, you just can't stop it. There's no stopping the Chainsaw Man. It's just, it's too it's too big for its own good. Carol, just keep running. Just keep ripping and roaring. Yeah, it's very nice to see a year out after Chainsaw Man concluded its first parts run and jump that the volumes still continue to sell extremely well. 
And yeah, it's quite interesting to see that it has so much representation last month in particular. And I'm, I'm curious as to why. I guess it's probably just a trend of like a lot of people just continuing to discover and be enthusiastic and check out James on Madden. I can only imagine these numbers will continue to grow and grow once the anime inevitably comes out. And of course, when part two ends up starting next summer. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then uh, once again, uh, Solo Leveling, Volume 3, uh, ranking at number 7 in particular. We just discussed a couple minutes ago. Solo Leveling is a uh, very popular Korean manhwa right now at the moment. I would be so shocked if they didn't do anything more with it in terms of like an adaptation of live action animated something. Like I feel like it would be a weird move if uh, nobody did anything with that. But uh, I'm glad to see it's doing well. And uh Man, I need to I need to get onto it sometime because this is one of the few titles where like my roommate's been reading it and it's just constantly been telling me to get on it and I just haven't had the chance to read it yet. But it's it's on my list. I do want to check it out. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of good buzz about it. Uh, next up we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume One, ranking at number nine, with Volume Two right behind it, ranking at number sixteen. Jujutsu Kaisen also doing very well. That is another candidate for box set when that series ends. I'm sure. Yeah, I think we'll have quite a bit to go, and I don't know if we'll be able to do it all in one. But indeed, I think Jujutsu Kaisen will continue to see some great sales growth, especially when the movie comes out in North America, hopefully early next year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it seems that people are continuing to get into the early part of the series, and it continues to do very well. So it's good to see. Mm -hmm. And then uh, actually right behind Chainsaw Man, in terms of like how many individual volumes are on this list in particular, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun with volume one ranking at number 10, volume two ranking at number 14, and volume 11 ranking at number 20. Uh, Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, what else is there to say? It's clearly Yen Press's most popular title at this point and is another series that I definitely want to get to at some point. Yeah. Very strong year of volumes last year, like Toleban and Akukan. Great series, and it's great to see that it is so competitive with Wiz's Shonen Jump hits as like a mainstream Shonen manga title that is like just incredibly popular. And yeah, it's great to see it continue to do well, like so long out from when the anime had come out and it just continued to sustain its popularity and grown its popularity. I think that's really awesome to see because it is a fantastic series. And yeah, I'm just uh, happy to see that, you know, again, other series from other publishers are doing extremely well as well and competitively with Jump Hit. So nice, nice to see all around. For sure, for sure. Next up, we have Death Note, the Black Edition, Volume 1, at number 13 on the list. Death Note, you know, obviously is an older series compared to a lot of these, but it's still a series that, you know, inevitably still does very well, and new people, I'm assuming, are constantly getting into it, and uh, is, at this point, you know, we're, we're going to see it on this list at least every once in a while. Perhaps the Platinum End anime convinced people, oh, I don't want to check out this series, but I am interested in finally reading Death Note and has convinced them to purchase Death Note instead. So rather than the Platinum End anime succeeding in getting people buying volumes of Platinum End, it instead <laughs> they decided to go back and do the previous series by the author that was executed. Oh boy, yeah. Why why read Boneless Death Note where you can read the original? Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I would be. I will eat my hat 
if uh, if I ever see a volume of Platinum Man rank on this list at all, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't be like necessarily that surprised, but I I wouldn't expect it just because I don't think the buzz, uh, very rightfully, has been super positive on Platinum Man. I don't think so. A lot of people are super enthused about it. So I I have to be honest. I mean. I guess I don't really know how far in the anime is because I really haven't been keeping up. But like, honestly, I've I have seen maybe like 5% more discussion on Platinum End since the anime came out. Because I, I, I mean, again, this is just my social uh, social circles. But like when Platinum End was like being simulpub by Viz, you know, even before like the Shonen Jump app existed. Again, it was behind a paywall, but still. I saw, like, nobody talking about it, and I really haven't seen that many other people talk about Platinum End since the anime ended. Like, virtually almost nothing has changed in terms of, like, discussion on that series in particular for me, anyway. It's just kind of amazing. Platinum End did not generate a ton of discussion month-to-month as a serialization. I mainly saw comments when New Chapters came out from people who were frustrated very rightfully at the story. And because I participate in communities that do keep up with, like, uh, all the jump simul books pretty closely, I would see, like, comments on chapters uh, fairly frequently. So, you know, but yeah, in, like, the main manga community space, Platinum Man definitely was not a series on the radar for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Like, early on when it came out, there was, you know, enthusiasm for it as a new oboe about a joint but then very quickly it kind of tapered off even incredible enthusiasts of oban about us works friends of mine who like were excited for the series were incredibly disappointed by those early chapters and just did not talk or keep up with it after those first couple of chapters because it turned them off and disappointed them so much and yeah i think also the fact that the serialization for the longest time was behind that one dollar per chapter paywall anyways also probably didn't help it necessarily probably not yeah. I mean, it's a reasonable price for a single manga chapter but for a series that you know did not leave a good first impression on a lot of people yeah i could see how a lot of people weren't super convinced to continue reading it and certainly uh it doesn't seem like they would have been rewarded for continuing reading it considering the story developments people have been discussing them that's been covered in the anime so far and yeah most of the coverage I see of Platinum End are people, like, kind of dunking on it, so, <laughs> very rightfully. Oh, I, I promise we'll move on in a bit, but I do just have to say, this is a big reason why I want to cover Platinum Men on the show, hopefully, this year, is because, like, I saw nobody talking about it, and I really, I really love the idea of covering a manga that no one else talks about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a huge novelty to me, I can't really help it. Huh, stay stay tuned for that, hopefully. But anyway, um, just to finish off this list really quickly, uh, last thing we're going to talk about is Volume 9 of the Deluxe Edition of Berserk, ranking at number 17. Again, Berserk, always guaranteed at least one placement on this list per month, uh, still does very well. And yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Um, but as for the list overall, not too many surprises, in my opinion, anyway. Again, the, 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 the biggest one that I was not expecting, personally, was the Demon Slayer box set. I mean, not necessarily ranking on the list, but like ranking so high. I mean, we said it before, Demon Slayer is obviously a very popular series, but I don't know, maybe my sticking point is like, because I'm sure the price on that box set, I haven't checked it, so I don't know for sure, but I'm sure the price tag on that is probably pretty high for a lot of people, maybe. I don't yeah, know. It's like a $200 box set, I think. No, 
okay. Uh, maybe I'm just cheap and I, I don't like spending more than that. $200 on one thing, is but, a lot yeah. of money. I mean, yeah, technically, yeah. it's like really reasonable for 23 volumes, but it's still a lot of money, you know, to drop all at once. Yeah, yeah. Spe- especially right now with everything going on. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I think that was like the biggest surprise for me. Everything else, I think, is pretty standard in terms of like what's on the list and what's, you know, where it's placed and everything. But uh, yeah, other than that, manga's still doing very good. I'm really interested in like how much longer we're going to keep up this trend of uh, every month's list being 90 to 100% manga, you know, with the occasional one other comic title on the list that isn't manga, you know? Uh, I'm interested in seeing like how long that trend's going to keep up. Um, but I think that's gonna be about it for list news, and I think we should head on to, to some serialization news. Yeah, we got a lot of new serializations starting off, and a lot of things that are going to be coming to an end pretty soon to talk about. But first, we must check in on someone who's fortunately had to take a hiatus for a little while. And that person is Tomo Takeuchi, who sadly will be going back on hiatus on her series Welcome to the Ballroom again for another one or two months after already just having come back off of a hiatus in December for one chapter. Takeuchi has been having health problems these last couple of years, so the series has gone hiatus very frequently time and again. And this one stuck out to me just because of the soonness of having to go back on a hiatus just after releasing like one chapter after already having come back from a several month hiatus before. So... Now, I just hope that her health will be in a good place. You know, she can take the time she needs to rest up before she's really ready to get back to the series again. Because she was apparently not feeling well uh, in the beginning of December. And she hasn't really fully recovered from whatever is ailing her. So I just hope that she takes care of her health and, you know, will just rest and return to work when she's feeling much more healthier much better shape uh so yeah i just uh thought this would be a good story to check in on because it was notable to me what the how frequently she had been taking ideas and how soon this new idea has come off of her previous one so wishing the best for her moving on to some new things coming out next year that is going to be pretty exciting First off, JoJo's 35th anniversary is next year, or rather this year, we're in 2022 right now. And yeah, like, they are definitely going to celebrate this. Obviously, Stone Ocean is airing in Japan and on Netflix. And in addition to that, there's going to be a special JoJo magazine that's going to be released on March 19th with a cover drawn by Araki himself. And that magazine is going to feature a new 71-page Despo Kashibi Rohan chapter. It's going to have an open and color page. And there's also going to be like a text story in the magazine. There's going to be a feature on Golden Wind in the magazine. An interview with live-action Kishibi Rohan star Issei Takahashi. And yeah, I mean, it's cool that there's going to be another chapter of this book, Shibi Rohan, published. And I'm curious if that's going to get adapted into the live action. You know, I've been meaning to check that out on uh, Asian Crush for a while. So I'm kind of excited to see, like, what with the new season of it airing, like, what stories are happening, and then uh, the better this will get it up, too. 
And I would like at some point this Daspokashibi Rohan series, the manga, to get localized officially by Viz at some point. So, you know, hopefully this will be a chapter we can read officially in some capacity in the future. Or heck, maybe Viz, just for the 30th anniversary, will just localize this chapter by itself uh, on with Shonen Jumps. That'd be neat. But yeah, cool things looking forward to. So, uh, that's interesting. So wait, did they... So they uh, they adapted the uh, Kishibe Rohan stuff in live action? I don't think I knew about this. Yeah, so there's a Despo Kishibe Rohan live action adaptation. Oh, okay, huh. And uh, yeah, you can watch that legally, uh, officially on Asian Crush. Ooh, okay. I, they have yeah, the f- huh. entire first season of that. There's about like 15-minute episodes apiece. There's three episodes. And there's a second season on the way Okay, huh. that hopefully will also be available on Asian Crush. And the second is interesting in terms of what stories they're adapting, because like, so the live action series is interesting because it kind of sort of takes, it's like a different continuity from like the manga, because they don't outright reference like stands by name. Like obviously the powers are still there, but they don't really refer to them as stands okay and also it's like they make references to the series like you know things in moriocho right but like they don't like reference other characters besides rohan or that he has known them and one of the stories they're adapting the second season is cheap trick hmm. but they're going to be doing cheap trick without like Koichi, it's not going to be like as part of, uh, you know, the whole conspiracy involving Kira and stuff. It's just going to be like a new adaptation of Cheat Trick in like this new Kishibi Ron continuity in this live action oh, series. Okay. Huh. So it's kind of like an interesting approach. It's like Tess taking Rohan is just like rewriting these stories just to center him. Mm. So yeah, but it's cool stuff. But yeah, um, look forward to watching more of that. And uh, yeah, in general, like uh, more of the anime adaptation too that's, you know, on Netflix and stuff. So yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I genuinely had no idea this existed, but I'm probably going to check this out soon, actually. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So yeah, some cool stuff to look forward to if you're a JoJo fan. Other people starting some new special short-term uh, serializations or special projects include Aki Irie of uh, Go With The Clouds Northwest fame, which is one of my kind of favorites to keep up with. And they are putting out a new like two-chapter series new short manga called Toki's Journey of Life that's come out in Katakawa's Okishi magazine. And it's about a doctor and a girl named Toki who climbs deep mountains across barren wastes on their journey together. And the doctor can ride on clouds and source of the sky. And that's not initially lend a helping hand to Toki, only going ahead of her and stopping somewhere to drink and eat while waiting for her. So it's like a puzzling way of traveling. But nevertheless, they have kind of like an unspoken, kind of intimate bond relationship. And that sounds definitely up Iria's alley in terms of like the character dynamics that she likes to draw. And also, you know, this series sounds like it focuses a lot on kind of like landscapes and just exploration, just taking in a, a sense of place, which is definitely totally just in line with kind of the aesthetic and mood of Go With The Clouds. So this uh, just sounds very neat. And I don't know, like, particularly how long this would be, if it would be long enough to have a complete volume by itself that could get localized, or, you know, it could be possibly compile this part of like a short story collection from Eerie that could get localized, but I would like to read it because I really enjoy their work on Go With The Clouds and Ron The Grey World, so yeah, looking forward to that. We had talked on our recent last news episode that Nana Takaru by Ruchina Amasume 
was licensed for release later this year by Denpa and Faku. And it looks like Ryuta Amazume is going to be launching a new series and has indeed launched that in Hankasencha's Young Animal. It is called Jofu. It's going to be about the sex industry aimed at women. So I think much like Amazame's kind of very kind of much more interesting look at BDSM relationships in Anana Dakaru, I think we can expect Expect also like kind of a more thoughtful exploration of the uh, women's porn industry in their new work. So yeah, this is another one that has me curious, and you know I would like to see and uh, hear how it turns out, and if it uh, has good reception, I hope that maybe Faku and Nemba would take a chance of licensing that one as well. Speaking of stories that's you know focus on explore relationships, you know one of the most kind of beloved acclaimed <laughs> rom-com manga the last couple of years has been Sweat and So by Kintetsu Yamada and fans of that series and their work will be happy to know that they have launched a new series digitally called Kasane to Subaru or Kasane to Subaru with three chapters already up and new chapters planning to come out on the 26th of every month this series centers on a graphic designer at a toy development company who one day certain accident work grabs the butt of her co-worker and when she does that she realizes that his butt feels like her very plush toy character <laughs> so you know she feels really guilty about what she did and you know even though the, the guy says you know he's fine with it and he has like a scary expression on his face but like she feels like she's gotta apologize and she also has a secret she's hiding so I think that Yamada is very skilled at like writing kind of these unusual relationships to kind of develop off of like people's kind of kinks or fetishes much like what says so and so this definitely sounds kind of in that same wane and it sounds like it could be a nice kind of exploration of those like little kinks in a healthy kind of charming way so yeah this is another one i'm looking forward to especially with like how beloved and claimed sweat and soap is and it's one that i'm excited to catch up on very soon so yeah looking forward to the next work as well and seeing what kind of reception it, it gets as well Next, we're getting a new series from Yoshifumi Otera, who drew Mahi the Adventure of Sinbad. Their new manga is Skill Build Online, Hentai a Sniper Yini Yoru MMORPG Chosenki, or Skill Build Online, a Pervert Sniper's MMORPG Let's Play. This is coming out in Monthly Shonen Sunday GX's January 18th issue. It's going to have like a 74-page opening chapter with color pages. And yeah, it's basically going to be an adaptation of the web novel of the same name by Nagi Tachibana. It's going to be about a guy who is considered like a, you know, pro first person shooter. He's proven himself on the best place in Japan. He wins a special prize to a new MMO called Scale Build Online after he takes another big FPS trophy. And so he tries the MMO on invitation of his friends, but, but because it's his first MMO, he has a hard time. And he makes a distinct build off of his risk attack build, but then starts to be known as like the pervert psyker, and then just, you know, starts having fun in the MMO with a fellow band of odd ducks weirdos as well. I like Otera's style a lot, uh, their art style on Adventurous Sinbad. And it was a pretty well done series too, though the writing was done by Otaka herself for that one. But yeah, like I am curious to see how the series will turn out, this adaptation of the series. So, yeah, hoping for the best of Otera's next work. 
Another series launching more than one new works this upcoming year is Masao Otake of Hina Matsuri fame. They've got a 46-page one-shot that's coming out in the Winter 22 issue of Heart Development Winter Rang on the 15th. This is going to be called Our Extraordinaries Have Just Begun. And then after that, they're going to be launching a new mini-series, the next issue of Heart in February, called Magical Boy Mamoru Won't Start. It's going to run for about six chapters in Heart Day's 91st and 96 issues. So looks like they're doing some more, you know, short-term work before starting a new long-term serialization that so far has not had a title revealed that it is currently being planned to start in the 97th issue. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing more works from Otake post Tenomatsuri. It looks like, you know, these short-term serializations, I could imagine them being collected in, like, a single volume collection, and hopefully that could get localized. And then their next long-term serialization is definitely something I'm keenly interested in. But yeah, Hinomatsuri was a really fun, funny series, so I'm definitely looking forward to their next work. And now we're getting to uh, some news of news relations announced at Jump Festa. And this is probably the biggest one that got people excited. And that is the long-awaited announcement of when Chainsaw Man Part 2 is coming. Yes. And basically the announcement is that it is coming on Shonen Jump Plus in summer 2022. Yes, the long-awaited school arc is going to arrive at a time when school is really not obsession for most folks, which is funny timing. But yeah, I think we've all been waiting for Chainsaw Man Part 2. By the time this comes out, it'll have been a year and a half since the first part ended. But yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to returning to the adventures of Denji as he tries to just to school and whatever new challenges await him there. Oh, I can't wait for part two. I'm vibrating in my seat. I am very excited. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Other new manga announcements at Jump Festa include announcements of two manga adaptations of two Naruto novels that are going to come out next year on Shonen Jump Plus. And I imagine because it's going to come up on Shonen Jump Plus that we will probably see a localization of them simulpublish them as well from Viz and stuff, and ma- or at least Manga Plus especially. I can't imagine that we're not getting these at some point. I'd actually be kind of shocked if maybe we didn't get like simulpubs of these, honestly. Yeah, no, I'm expecting it. But yeah, so we're getting adaptations of Naruto Konoha Shinden Yuke Michi Ninpokcho by Natsu Osai, who drew the manga adaptations of Psycho Pass, various installments of the manga versions of that series, Sinister System and Inspector Shinya Kogami. And we're getting an adaptation of Naruto, Sasuke Stories, Yuchiha, and the Heavenly Stardust by Shingo Kimura. So, Konoha Shinden Yukimizu Nimpocho was actually adapted into the Boruto anime, and I watched those episodes. I've enjoyed that story a lot. It follows Guy Akashi Mirai, the daughter of Asuma and Kurenai, as they, like, journey to a hot spring, and it's a lot of it is just, like, kind of Mirai reflecting on, like, you know, trying to understand who her father was through Guy and Kakashi. But, you know, they're kind of, like, just being chill and stuff. So she, they are exasperating her on this journey. But it's it's her, like, trying to kind of learn more about her dad, but, like, kind of also kind of guiding them as their bodyguard. And then, you know, it ends up kind of, you know, tying into, like, stuff that involving, like, Hedon and stuff and his, like, cult by the end of it. Oh, so okay. 
It, it goes some interesting fun places. In general, I thought Mariah was a pretty compelling character. So yeah, this is uh, a nice little story. And yeah, it's cool to see that this is getting a manga adaptation. And then Sasuke's story, the Achiha and the Heavenly Stardust novel, that was uh, localized by Viz already. So you can kind of uh, read that starting next summer, looks like around the same time these uh, simulpubs or these new series are going to start. But yeah, like uh, this is another one of those kind of novel stories that kind of bridge a little bit the time between uh, Naruto and Boruto. Basically, it looks like kind of Sasuke and Sakura kind of teaming up together, sort of exploring their relationship. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, I think uh, these are some interesting new Naruto spin-off manga adaptations that fans can be sure to look forward to. They'll probably end up being like good solid single volume monk adaptations. Uh, so yeah, look forward to those coming soon. And now uh, the big announcement, you know, we talked about a lot of new serializations, but now we're going to get into some announcements of things that are ending. And uh, there's quite a big announcement of the series from a creator about their series. Everything to us with plan may end next year. Yeah, uh, I'll just go ahead and talk about that real quick. So uh, once again, continuing the with the news we have from Jump Festa, Kohei Horikoshi, creator of My Hero Academia, uh, provided a written message for this year's Jump Festa uh, stage event, and uh, the message read as such, If Hero Aka continues to progress smoothly in just about exactly a year from now, it will meet its goal. That is the situation. If it doesn't go smoothly, I think Yamashita-kun will be reading out the exact same letter from me at next year's Jump Festa. So I like that Horikoshi is a little more aware of like, well, I'm I'm saying I want to end this in a year, but it, that might not happen. Like you never know what'll happen, so I'm I'm glad he's at least aware of that. But I mean, you know, if you're if you're keeping up with My Hero Academia at the moment, I could see it ending within the next year, honestly, with with, with the way the story's going. I would also agree with that. I do think that we're heading towards the end game. It really just doesn't matter how long certain confrontations will end up taking. So, yeah, I think that if not by the end of next year, or this year rather, we will see it end within uh, the early months of 2023 at the very least. I yeah, yeah. do think Hiroaka is approaching its conclusion sooner than later. No, for sure. I'll give Horikoshi even like a year and a half. I think that's even more likely, probably. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, you could end the story in a year, I think, but I also feel like, I, I yeah, I, like you said, I guess it depends on how much time he spends on any given, like, story beat or whatever. Like, I don't know, like, I guess you never know how long, because I'm sure we're gearing up for a final fight with Deku and Shigaraki, probably. That's probably where the story's going. I can only imagine, like, how long that fight in particular is probably going to take. I, I could see that being a big one, so... Mm -hmm. Especially since the fight in like the big stop the villains arc from the previous era that took so long. So I could definitely see like the follow up fight taking just as long. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing's for sure, I'm going to be very sad when My Hero Academia ends, but I'm I'm also pretty confident that the ending is going to be good. I'm at least optimistic. I, I don't I don't see the ending being bad or anything. Like at, at the very worst, maybe there are one or two loose ends that may get ignored or we don't have the time to wrap up. I would be fine with that depending on what they are, but I don't know. I I have faith in Horikoshi, but we'll also see. 
Yeah, I think that the foundation for the ending is very strong, so I am looking forward to seeing how the series wraps up as it enters into the endgame of its final arc. Mm-hmm. But My Hero Academia is not the only series that looks to be coming to an end, because it was also announced recently that Natsuki Takaya plans to end Fruits Basket Unutter with its fourth volume that's going to ship out on February 18th. Uh, the same day as Fruits Basket Anime the Final Tatsuka Natsuki Illustrations book. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people kind of just assume that the third volume was the final volume because for many years that was like the last chapters of the series and she hadn't uh, continued it. But then she drew a new chapter for it just like a year or two ago or rather yeah like you know she drew one in uh, april 2020 and there she hadn't drawn any more chapters then and that one chapter is not necessarily enough to fill a volume though so what i'm thinking is that she probably has like drawn more chapters specifically for this volume to perhaps bring the story to a close and indeed i had been wondering with that 13 chapter and where had kind of left off that takaya wanted to close amends regarding shiki and his relationship with his mother and wanting to reintegrate his mother back into the family so yeah like i am very curious to see how that'll turn out like i'm excited to read it because i really love the another story not just as a companion to Fruits but like as like its own narrative uh, with it's starring its characters, I thought, they're just very compelling. So, yeah, I'm just really excited to uh, read, like, the ending Takaya is drawn uh, as an expansion of the series and for Shiki's uh, story and to his relationship with his mother and stuff. So, you know, and I'm being coy about that just in case of spoilers. But, you know, I had talked uh, extensively about Boots Basket and Nutter on two podcasts recently, uh, one of which is not out yet, but you can listen to me talk about it, I feel like, for 20 mids have our on the fruits basket podcast i did with uh g and ray on uh read life to left so if you want more of my thoughts on another you can look for that or you can check that out there uh but yeah like uh i, I really love fruits but i really love fruits mother. looking forward to reading even more of it and hopefully this will get localized before too long after it comes out another thing that's coming to an end soon is no game no life it was reported in the 11th volume of the Light Novels that the story is entering the final stage. And of course, we don't know right now how long that final stage will be, but it's certainly curious and interesting that the series, it looks like, will be heading towards its end. And I really enjoy No Game of Life, so I'm curious to see how it's going to end. And as we arrive to the last piece of news, we're kind of talking about a series that... We honestly don't know if it's ended yet or if it's just in limbo, but it was announced that Berserk's latest volume, the 41st volume, is going to be coming out in the US and France next summer. This is, of course, the volume of the series that is coming out post the death of Kentaro Miura, mm-hmm. and it leads a lot of people to wonder what is going to be done about the series. Like, it's just going to be the end, or is Young Animals, Akutensha, like, what are their plans for the series? And the afterword in the 41st volume from Young Animal Magazine's editorial staff stated that the future is still undecided. Uh, they don't have any information to share about the future. 
Uh, they made an announcement about it in September. And, like, they, they have reassured us, though, that their priority is always going to be placed on him and what he would think of Heroes of the So whether or not that means they will move forward with a continuation with Miyura's team that is left behind at Studio Gaga, or they will simply let the series be and let it rest where it is right now, that we don't know for sure. It doesn't seem like a concrete decision has been made yet, but... It is a story worth watching to see how it develops. If nothing else, I am simply interested and in looking forward to a bit bittersweetly to the 41st volume coming out next summer and just reading it and then just taking in like the story of Berserk up to that point and uh, just dwelling in it. Because at the very least, the stopping point for Berserk as it is, it stops at a place in which, you know, there is some catharsis, there is some satisfaction in what has been accomplished so far. So, yeah, in Guts' journey. So, I I appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to, like, reading that when it, uh, the, the localized one comes out. No, same here. Um, I, I guess just to put my thoughts out there real quick, since this is the best time to do so, like... You know, I hadn't really like thought about it until now, but like the more I think about it, I think um I think I'm kind of leaning on more so just kind of leaving Berserk where it is, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure if they decided to like continue it, you know, I'm I'm not saying that Miura's team can't do good work, but at the same time it's like, you know, it like say what you want, but like Berserk was Miura's child, basically. Like it was something he clearly like enjoyed working on and worked on for like so much of his life while he was still alive. Like I don't know. For me, I I would be okay if they just kind of left it alone, honestly. But I mean, I I guess it's really up to them whether they continue it. But personally, I think I don't know. I I think I think it would be better just to kind of leave it alone. Just kind of just just let it rest, you know. But that's just my opinion. I agree. I think that would be the best decision. Uh, out of respect for Miura, if Studio Gaga or someone wants to play with the world of Berserk in like a spinoff, but a distinctly separate thing from Berserk. An anthology, maybe. Yeah. You know, because there are like a lot of the posthumous kind of reinterpretations of classic stories and manga and stuff like that. You know, Sama Tezuka series have had a lot of reinterpretations post his death from other actors. If someone wants to do something like that, I think that's fine. But the core story of Berserk itself, I think, should be left alone and should be left untouched from the point Miura has left it at. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I guess we'll just have to see. Um, but yeah, that's about it for all the serialization news we have to talk about. And we're going to get into licensing news soon. Uh, obviously, we have both put together our own individual list of like all the licenses that uh, basically the licenses that have come out in the past month that we're looking forward to. But I think we have one or two like stray news pieces if you want to cover those real quick. Yeah, one of the most curious news items is that Ayakashi Triangle no longer seems to be being sold by Viz digitally. It is no longer available on digital platforms from Viz. And it's a curious thing. A lot of people have been joking, oh, is it because of content? And if, I really doubt that considering they're still doing the simulpub and considering, you know, they do other rated M works, then they sell those digitally. 
which is, you know, they don't seem to have too much qualms necessarily about that, even though it's not like their preference. I think what's more likely is perhaps another publisher has acquired the rights to publish the series in print and digital. Mm, okay. And so potentially that means that Viz had to take down their releases of volumes because those digital rights are going to a different publisher. And this is just like speculation. But this is kind of my assumption. I think that's a very likely guess that perhaps a different publisher besides Viz, who is committing to putting out the series printed digitally, has taken those rights and is going to move forward with those. See, I mean, again, like you said, this is all speculation. We don't really know what's going on. But uh, assuming that is the case, that would be really interesting to have, like, say, maybe the Simulpub keep coming out from Viz while, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, say someone like Seven Seas picked up the rights to Ayakashi Triangle, maybe. Like, this seems like the kind of thing that maybe they would release. On the subject of Seven Seas, I mean, that was the precedent that immediately drew to mind of their licensing of Tokyo Revengers, despite Kodansha doing the digital releases of that series. So that idea of, like, split localization rights between different publishers, I think, is a likely scenario. Is We'll be continuing to do the simulpub of the series, but like perhaps Seven Seas or whoever may have acquired the rights to Ayakashi's printed digital volumes rights. They'll probably even use the same localization potentially, much like in the case of Avengers, but yeah, like just those rights have been split. So it's, it's an interesting case that we'll, we'll see if it plays out in any announcements in the future. Right now, it's certainly just a curious thing that this had announced that it seemed like they were going to be doing these digital releases, but all of a sudden, very suddenly, they had taken them down after just doing the first two volumes. I kind of wonder how much, I mean, again, if this is the case, I'm kind of wondering how much work was done on these volumes before they suddenly decided, oh, I guess we're not doing these, you know? Yeah, I wish I had purchased them only to check that out. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that work that was done on these volume releases is going to be completely changed if another publisher has acquired it and going to be doing their own version. Even if like the core translation remains the same. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess we'll keep you guys updated. I'm I'm certainly interested in, like, I guess the reason why they took these down. Uh, I don't know. Because, uh, honestly, without even uh, thinking about possible rights shifting, my uh, assumption was that, you know, because we, we, we know that, like, I guess across, like, most apps that sell, like, mature content, but especially on, you know, the Viz side of things, you know, uh, Apple being a stickler for, like, putting mature content on most apps, I... I wondered if that had something to do with it, but I guess that wouldn't really make sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, considering Viz already sells mature titles, and even if they're not like available on the app, uh, I mean, there are most of them are available on the app to read if you've purchased them. Yeah, yeah. You can download them for the app. So I don't think that would be the main issue. I can't imagine Ayakashi really is that more extreme than some of the other stuff is is still committed to. Mm, for sure. So yeah, I, I feel like it might be just a case of these rights are being exchanged hands. And I'm just yeah, I'm just curious to see if that will indeed pan out. But it, it's just a curious case for now. Mm-hmm, for sure. Hey guys, just want to cut in here really quickly, uh, both Lum and I, because as you just listened to, we were just talking about Ayakashi Triangle and, uh, you know, uh, why volumes of the series are no longer available through Viz, but uh, we, we have a bit of an update on that. Lum, if you want to take us away. 
Yes, not only has the volumes that Viz has published of Ayakashi Triangle Volumes 1 and 2 been delisted, but all of a sudden, Chapter 74, the first chapter that was meant to come out in 2022, is not being published at all by Viz on their website, nor is it going to be available on Manga Plus. They did not give any concrete reason why this chapter was skipped, other than the implication it was due to content, and that's all they've left it at. Having perused the raws of the chapter, the snippets of the chapter, I have seen really no content in it that is any worse necessarily than previous Ayakashi Triangle chapters. Mm -hmm. However, there is a scene in which Roshka, who is a young-looking character, is being groped. So I think maybe that would be the image that did it, because that character has not received quite as much sexually exploited fan service in that way, at least in physical contact ways in previous chapters. And so maybe that one page might have tipped the scale. Otherwise, it is very curious, because the rest of the chapter does not push boundaries any more than previous Ayakasha Triangle chapters. But it is a curious development. It is especially curious that, probably not surprising the manga, plus we refrain because they get their materials from this, so they can't do it themselves anyway. Or probably contractually and stuff like that. So yeah, I am curious to see if there is going to be any future chapters of Aikashi that do not get published at all. This chapter at the very least was not a very significant one in terms of the overall plot of the story, but potentially what if they decide to skip a chapter that is plot relevant? That is going to be a curious thing to see, because it's one thing to not just have the chapter available on the app, like in the case of that one change sign chapter. This is a chapter that is just not available at all, and it's certainly a curious case, but it will be interesting to see how things will go from here, and if the series has indeed been licensed by another publisher for print and digital release, as we have speculated, then it's going to be interesting to see if that chapter will be available in the volumes whenever, if ever, those are released over here. Yeah, I, mm, I'm not really sure how to feel about this. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm not really keeping up with Ayakashi Triangle myself, but I do think it's kind of weird that like I don't know. I just I just feel like if Viz starts deciding like, or I guess I also wonder if this was maybe a uh, like a decision on Shueisha's part as well, because it's also not a manga plus. I mean, yes, but also it not being on manga plus means that I mean they again they get their materials from Viz. Like, they take the translation Viz does and post it on Manga Plus. That's true, So yeah. if Viz chooses, no, we're not going to work on this chapter, I don't think they can just put the chapter up themselves because whatever contract they have with Viz, I don't think they can just translate material from a series Viz is licensed without their permission. Just get their own independent translators to, to that chapter themselves. So it could be a Shueisha decision, but it also could very likely be Viz made the decision and Shueisha is just not in a position to translate and publish that chapter independently of Viz. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't really sit right with me that like, I guess a publisher can just decide to not publish a chapter. I mean, 
you know, like you said, you know, the, the content in it isn't any worse than like how it normally is in Ayakashi Triangle. So d- this just comes off as kind of a weird decision to me anyway. I don't yeah, know. it was certainly strange. Because now it's like, well, is that chapter ever going to be released? Because like, you know, as we were talking about, they're not selling digital volumes of Ayakashi Triangle right now. So I'm, I don't know. I just, I, I feel bad for Ayakashi Triangle fans. Like if, if this happened to anything I was reading, like, you know, we mentioned Chainsaw Man. I'm I'm really, like, as annoyed as I am that that chapter still isn't available on the app because of that spread solely, you know, I'm at least happy that it's at least available on Viz, and, you know, people can still read it, and plus, you know, you can still read it in volumes, but, like, man, to just not have that available at all, like, that's honestly really frustrating. I can't imagine dealing with that. Yeah, it certainly is a little perplexing. I feel like some fans have used this as an opportunity to bash just wholesale supporting this as a platform, which I do not agree yep. with. I will say, though, when you are expecting a chapter and it doesn't come out and there's no real reason that you can assert as to why... Like, that is a cause for concern. And even in speculating of what the reason could have been, it's still not concretely, okay, was this the reason? Because, again, Ayakashi Triangle has already pushed so many boundaries in chapters past, so it is just a very strange decision that was made. I, I feel like if Viz was just going to end up skipping chapters in the first place, I I feel like they should have known what they were getting into, considering Kentaro Yabuki is also the author of To Love Rue, you know? Mm-hmm. This is definitely a title Viz only picked up because of their commitment to doing every Shonen Jump series, much like with Union in the Haunted Hot Springs. In times past, I don't think this would be the title they would have picked up. Yeah. But they're in a position now where I think they feel obligated to pick up and run every series, not just because, you know, that's a cool thing they can do, but also because of the pressure from Shueisha's end. It's like, if they don't do it themselves, Shueisha will do it themselves on Manga Plus. Yeah. And I think Viz has a combative relationship with Manga Plus as a platform, because as also has become increasingly clear, Manga Plus is designed as competition for Viz for views, for like who is going to use what service. And Shueisha wants that as leverage to potentially devalue the work of localization, as has been a whole conversation and has been more than implied in a bunch of like press fluff interviews that they've been putting out recently. So, I mean, this, I think, very readily probably feels, well, we got to do these series ourselves. Otherwise, Manga Plus is just going to do it themselves, and that's going to give incentive for fans to just visit them. And that's not good for us, not really good for the industry as a whole, honestly. So Mm. it's a very precarious and curious thing. I definitely vividly remember listening to an episode of the Shonen Jump podcast around the time Manga Plus came out and uh, some of the hosts on there trying to make sure they don't mention Manga Plus and try to pretend it doesn't exist. And at first I thought that was really, really weird because, you know, Viz is partly owned by Shueisha. So it's just it's just really weird to see them like in competition with each other. But yeah, I didn't even think about it from that angle. But yeah, that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, not they were going out of their way to pretend what is doesn't exist. You know, they were like trying to pretend <laughs> willfully that they didn't even know it was a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like there is a strange antagonistic relationship between Viz and Shueisha over Manga Plus, uh, and that I think is informing certain licensing decisions, and especially the decision to pick up every Jump title, even titles Viz generally is not a. Th- fan or wouldn't pick up previously especially like fan service edgy titles like ayakashi mm-hmm. um but yeah again we, we definitely needed to cut into the podcast here uh we're recording this after the fact because uh this this happened after we recorded uh this episode of the podcast and uh we just wanted to come in here and kind of give you guys an update on what's going on with that because it's you know it's definitely worth talking about and i'm sure if there are any updates on Ayakashi Triangle's release in particular, we'll definitely let you guys know because I'm I'm sure this is going to be an ongoing story until we get to the point where maybe it's licensed by another publisher, as we've been speculating. But again, we'll we'll keep you guys up to date. Still kind of an ongoing story, but until then, uh, we actually have one more piece of news that we're going to talk about here real quick before we. Uh, Head on back to the show proper. Uh, Lum, if you want to take that away. Akiko Higashimura's manga for lying from a few years back, A Fake Affair, is now available to read on Webtoon. The entire series is posted all at once on January 2nd. The first five chapters plus the prologue are available free to listeners or readers. And you can unlock a chapter every day on Webtoon around 9 p.m. Central Time is like, when it is for me so you can like read a chapter free a new chapter free every week and those unlock chapters last for about two weeks or you can just like buy the chapters to read whenever by buying coins and whatnot and every chapter is about three coins so i have been doing the system of like just unlocking a chapter every day and i'm having a lot of fun obviously i'm a huge fan of Gashimura, and this is certainly another one of her stories of like a messy adult trying to navigate relationships it's about a 30-ish woman who you know is kind of given up on having relationships with men and whatnot and she's just like now i'm just gonna live my best life i'm gonna eat what i want travel where i want and so she travels to korea for like a food tour but in her coat pocket she accidentally hooked her sister's coat and in her sister's coat was her wedding ring and there's a misunderstanding with a stranger or very handsome stranger from korea on the plane she's on and you know he she gets mistaken for being a housewife and the guy Giovanni gets very into her and kind of flirts with her and they start having a quote-unquote fake affair and she just gets wrapped into it because you know she hasn't had much luck with romantic relationships and so just getting attention from the stranger even though it's under kind of false pretense of pretense of lies like she finds it very exciting and very thrilling and then she generally like kind of forms a lot of affections for him of course there's a bigger things going on of like why is Jobana so interested in having a relationship with her there's things going on with him there's things going on with her sister you know as much as Shoko pretends to have this fake affair her sister and I don't think it's a spoiler but there's a reason why her wedding ring was in the coat pocket that you can immediately suss out so yeah it's a messy fun wild ride much like Kishimura can write and very 
similar in themes to Tokyo Tower Rebel Girls. So if you're a big fan of Tower Rebel Girls, this is totally in the same ballpark and up your alley. And yeah, like I am really enjoyed reading it. I have the patience to just read the chapter a day and I really like reading it in that format and that pace. And yeah, I'm excited to see where it'll go and where it'll end. And it's just cool to have another Higashimura manga available and especially kind of in this unique reading format like a lot of Webtoon comics are. So yeah, check it out on Webtoon tune if you've been starving for some new Akashimura series or I mean it's a series for five years ago but yeah I mean newly licensed and published on them too yeah I thought this was really cool um I found out about this because uh I saw someone just randomly tweet out about this big thanks to uh at techno blueberry for uh tweeting out about this I just happened to see this retweeted on my timeline because otherwise I I definitely wouldn't have known that uh we just have another Higashimura series that we could just read on Webtoon of all places. That's really cool. So definitely go check that out if you want more Higashimura works. I'm definitely going to be checking that out myself. It sounds like it's uh, sounds like it's a good read. I definitely want to check it out. Uh, but all right, we are going to go ahead and head on back to the show. The only other piece of uh, licensing news to mention before we get into our roundup of uh, licensing lists is that Manga Planet has acquired Azure Kono's Koi de Oshikoto manga for their service and they have been releasing the series and it's a series by Azure Kono that basically is you know a you know, series about kind of voice acting for video games. Basically about like a girl from a single parent household, you know, that knows that, you know, her mom and big sister always do her their best to make sure that she has a good life and she wants to help her sister out with her work. But her work is like, of course, being a voice actress for video games. So she's kind of like a, she kind of enters that field to like help her voice act the video games her sister's making. So yeah, so it's, it seems like an interesting premise series. The series had an anime adaptation uh, before in the early 10s. And uh, yeah, so the series is also from like the late aughts to early 10s. So it's a fairly older title, but like, yeah, it's cool to see a series with like this premise with a focus on voice acting, especially for voice acting for games, get localized. And it's one that I'm definitely keen to check out. For sure, yeah. In the future. And just cool to see more titles uh, be added to Manga Planet service to check out in the future. But yeah, that does it for kind of our pre-list roundups. So now we'll get into kind of uh, our curated licensing lists, some highlights licenses that were announced in December. And who wants to start off? Um, I started off first if you just want to start off first this time. That is, yeah, I can start off, especially since, truthfully, you on your list do have a lot of the ones I was most looking forward to. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but there were others that I was uh, keenly interested in as well that I wanted to acknowledge. And starting off, there were quite a few announcements from Seven Seas that, well, really intrigued me. First among which is Yuama's The Summer You Were There. A Yuri title that they're going to be releasing in September 2022 about a shy girl who hardly talks to other people, losing herself in creative writing and trying to write a novel that she never plans to show anyone. But her cute, popular classmate gets her hand on her manuscript and that changes everything for her because it turns out her classmate is a huge fan and 
She suggests that Suzu can get inspiration for her writing if the two of them start dating. And so can these very different young ladies create their own love story together? You know, it sounds like a cute story about like kind of this nice supportive relationship that helps inspire that the art that this introverted girl decides to make and her storytelling and her writing. And yeah, this sounds like a really cute, charming little Yuri story. So I definitely looking forward to that coming out and reading that. And another title I'm looking forward to is yet another iteration of the villainous premise, and that is Toko Amakawa Hinokikino and Wan Hachipizu's seventh time loop. The villainous enjoys a carefree life married to her worst enemy. This will come out physically in Julian September 22 as well. And, well, it is about someone who's been reincarnated seven times. And among their many lives, they have been a pharmacist and a knight. And in their latest life, they are determined to live in the lap of luxury. But the problem, the one catch, is that to make that dream come true, she's got to marry the prince who killed her in one of her previous lives. So she needs to use every one of the skills she's honed over multiple lifetimes to accomplish this task. And I think the premise of this sounds interesting just in the fact that this person has tried to live different lives in kind of different like kind of professions and stuff and has kind of met a bad end in each of those times for like seven times now. And now it's like kind of put in the situation where she has like this plan where she has acquired skills from these previous lives. And so in order to get her good ending, she's got to woo like the person who in one of her bad endings killed her. I think that's kind of a neat angle to the kind of villainous premise to kind of have like someone who is kind of lured from their experiences of their time loop, like having different lives, different experiences in each of those time loops, like pooling together all those skills, all those experiences in order to try and get their good ending. So yeah, I think that sounds like a fun take on the villainous premise. Next from Seven Seas that I'm interested in is Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid in Full Color Chromatic Edition. Of course, from Kukushinja, this is a full color edition of Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. It's coming out in August 2022. The premise of Dragon Maid is pretty self-explanatory. It's just cool to see, like, kind of a full-color version of the series come out. I think the colors look really nice. I generally like Kokushinya's color sensibility. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking out how the full-color edition turns out. Because I think it'll be fun to read the manga in full-color, kind of see it in a really new way, a new aesthetic. Speaking of things that play with color and a cool aesthetic, I'm also really looking forward to Nagabe's Monotone Blue, which is also coming out in August 2022. This is about a captain Hanchi who finds most things monotonous, but at the top of his list is high school and everything comes with it. But then a mysterious transfer student, Aoi, the lizard, who's kind of quiet and high achieving, he arrives, and when he arrives, he catches glimpses of a brighter, more colorful life. And so, you know, he believes if he can help Aoi Moka up like and open up like he can unlock new feelings and process and maybe his life won't be so bland after all and what really intrigued me about like the series is and something that i think is implicated from the cover of the series is you know it's very monotone very gray except for the hint of blue towards the bottom of the cover and what i kind of imagine of the series is that you know, this mostly is going to be black and white, but in the moments where Hachi kind of gets a glimpse of the colorful potential of a better life, then color will be used in an interesting way, like in the story, in contrast with the black and white imagery, uh, to really pop that out and bring it to life. And yeah, I think that could be really interesting and really fun. 
conceptually and aesthetically. So I, I'm really looking forward to that and seeing how that turns out. And especially since Nagabi has done some really great work on a previous series, like Girl from the Other Side. So yeah, this is another really interesting new title that I think will play with the medium and play with color in a really interesting way that I am super curious and super excited for. And my final Seven Seas pick is Chinese Fantasy The Dragon King's Daughter, coming from Yen Same Jima. It's like the first volume of their Chinese fantasy manga series. This is coming out in September 2022. And it's a basically a collection of retellings of Chinese folk tales that highlight the relationships between humans and non-humans, including like the titular Dragon King's Daughter. And so, yeah, it's also going to feature stories like Chemistry Between the Beast and a Hunter. It's going to be five stories all in all, playing on Chinese folk tales. And further volumes of the series are going to explore even more Chinese inspired tales about foxes, tigers, and beyond. So I think this sounds like a cool collection of interpretations of these different Chinese folk tales. And and I think the aesthetic of it looks really good. So yeah, this is another interesting kind of anthology collection to look forward to as well that I am super keen on, super intrigued by. That does it for my seven C's picks, however, but I do have one from Yenpress that I think a lot of people were really excited about. It was a pretty big deal that Shadow's House by Somato has been licensed by Yenpress. And yeah, like that's, of course, got a very, like, well-received anime that a lot of people were excited about, but disappointed that, you know, of course, it did not cover the full story and, you know... It didn't seem like it left itself open to covering more of the story. So it's great that the manga has been licensed. It's basically about a strange mansion called the Shadow's House that receives no callers and inhabited by a race of faithless shadows who play being aristocrats and weighed on hand and foot by living dolls who also serve as their master's faces. And what goes on inside the manor is anyone guess, but, you know, there's a lot of mystery, a lot of mystery and intrigue to the Shadow's House. So, yeah, like, this is a title that I know a lot of people were super happy about, and I'm super excited about it, because, you know, I heard so many great things about the series. I've been really meaning to check out the anime, and uh, I'm really excited for the manga to get over here, because from what I've heard, the anime, again, did not super leave itself open to more adaptation of the manga like it is getting a second season but you know they changed so much from the manga from what i heard that uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with the second season but like the original manga is something that yeah i know so many viewers are about and look forward to see more of cover all right get ready for shadow house route a yeah i mean <laughs> in a few years you're gonna need a shadow house brotherhood oh seems. man <laughs> But yeah. my next couple of picks come from Kadansha USA. They license a few titles, one of which is out now. But yeah, the, these are their new, like, kind of digital debuts for this month. The first of these being My Idol Sits the Next Door Over by Tetsu Susui and art by Kuyubi Sugawara. This is about, like, a world-crass idol. But that's at least in the eyes of our protagonist, who's like a big hardcore idol fan. But when said idol, Shiro, like, ends up sitting next to her in school, like, the, our protagonist, like, Higo's world is, like, turned upside down, and all her brain cells, like, vanish. And, you know, she's just so distracted because her, like, fave, her, like, the person she idols is just inches away from her. And, you know, she's gotta be prepared, though, because, you know, she's not the only one who's, like, totally head over heels, totally gaga for the class idol. So this sounds like kind of just a kind of your girl crush series about someone who's just super into like their 
like local idol or like just someone they idolize and probably need to work up the feelings to just kind of get to know them better as a person and to just like see them for who are and also just like yeah form a genuine relationship with them and i think that could be a lot of fun so it's one that i think has been very cute and very charming Another one that I'm interested in is The Lines That Define Me, story by Hiramasa Tagami and art by Atsunori Horiuchi. This will come out on January 18th. It's about a college student who's kind of adrift in the world until meeting with a soiboka artist called Kosan Shinoda, who brings him to the world of India ink painting. And through that, he finds connection with the art and Shinoda himself, but realizes there's more to the art world in Shinoda's family than he realizes. And yeah, this is a, sounds like another just interesting story about someone who kind of feels disillusioned with their life but then kind of finds a sense of place and purpose and community in the world of art and through creating art, but then also realizes that like kind of the mentor figure has or like the friend he has also has like kind of like a fraught relationship to both the medium and his own family and that just in the way that he was helped by like being brought into to like the world like he maybe he could help like him as well in his own way so that's what has been said about the story i think that has a lot of potential it's definitely kind of topically something that i'm always interested in like the world of indian painting and stuff so yeah i'm definitely curious about this one checking it out and the last good answer title that has been interested is Satsuki Make Me a Star by Takumi Mochizuki doing the story and Yui Sakuraba as the artist. This will come out January 25th and this is about two contrasting stars of the school. Like one's on the fall and one's on the rise. Both of them are high schoolers and both know the rush the fame can ride and both know how easy it is to rip it away. But they don't know how the effect they'll have on each other will be. And so that kind of is interesting to have like a relationship between people like one person it's like a rising scar in their local school. One is kind of falling out of good graces, but their relationship in some ways intertwined. Like the nature of like one person's success is related to the other person's kind of fall from grace and their relationship will affect like kind of how each person kind of navigates their new kind of status in their school and stuff. And I think that's like an interesting, again, premise of an interesting like potential for a relationship to explore. And so I'm definitely keen to see how this one will turn out as well. And then finally, the last license I want to kind of shout out and acknowledge on my list is Summertime Rendering. It has been licensed for print release by Udon. And yeah, like this series, of course, is still available to read in its entirety on Manga Plus. So while they still have those rights, definitely check that out, their version. The new version from Udon for print is going to have a new English translation and lettering. And, you know, we've gotten the chance actually to uh, preview Udon's new release, and it's really good, uh, their localization on the series. So, yeah, like, uh, it's, I think this is a release to look forward to, and I'm excited to see the series come out of print, and I'm excited to just catch up on it in general with the anime coming out next year, like, and... Uh, you know, the series having just recently ended, just to see it and read it in all its entirety. And these releases are going to be basically like omnibus releases. They're basically like two in ones uh, in terms of page counts. So you can expect that overall there will be a like, I believe it'll be about seven volumes in total for the entire series. So yeah, like uh, these are probably going to be good quality omnibus editions. Generally, Udon has done a good job with their print releases and omnibus collections in particular. So yeah, like, I am looking forward to checking out the print releases of the series because it's definitely been one of the most 
well-liked and, like, one of the most uh, enthusiastic in terms of, like, how many people are really into this series, like, Manga Plus slash Jump Plus titles the last few years. And a lot of people really look forward to that anime. And, uh, yeah, just to clarify, yes, it will indeed be released in six uh, omnibus volumes, both paperback and hardcover from the on. And the release date will be May 31st, 2022, for the first volume, just a little bit after the April premiere of the anime. So yeah, something to look forward to if you're a big fan of the series and decide to pick it up in print. And that is my list, though of course there were even more titles I was super excited for, but Colton, I think... I'll leave it to you to take it away by discussing a lot of those on your list. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the the titles that I took away from you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, di- I didn't do it on purpose. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to a lot of these titles. And uh, I'm going to go back to Seven Seas because uh, I think out of all the titles I have listed, I uh, most of them come from the latest batch of Seven Seas titles because they always license a lot. Um, this first one I'm going to talk about is Candy and Cigarettes from Tomonori Inoue. Uh, that'll be coming on August 2022, which is a action-packed neo-noir revenge thriller where retired cop Hiraga Raizo gets a lucrative gig working for a shadowy government organization known as the SS Agency. He is in for a rude awakening, because on the first day of his new job, he comes across a grisly murder and a lone little girl who's far from innocent. She's uh, Suzukaze Miharu, an 11-year-old master assassin, and his new partner. The arrangement is simple. She kills, he cleans up, and hides any evidence. Sure, the pay's great, but how much blood is Raiza willing to get on his hands? So, I mean, obviously the premise for this sounds pretty cool. But I'm pretty sure this title in particular was one that I saw Sakaki get into at one point and tweet about at one point. And uh, most stuff uh, that Sakaki finds, uh, especially like anything unlicensed, uh, he's usually good about picking out pretty interesting titles, which is why they eventually get licensed. I I think somebody's watching Sakaki's (laughs) timeline. I don't know. Well, uh, this is my speculation, but uh, he's he's a tastemaker. But yeah, no, I mean. Yeah, this 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 seemed pretty cool. I definitely liked the uh, the premise behind it, and I would definitely love to check it out. Uh, next up from Seven Seas, we have Crossplay Love Otaku and Punk by Toru that'll be coming out physically and digitally this August 2022, in which our main character Shumei has a problem. He's in love with a girl who works at a maid cafe, but he's too cool to go into a place like that without being embarrassed. But girls can go to a maid cafe, you know, without seeming creepy, right? So when he dresses in feminine clothes and transforms himself into May, quote-unquote, uh, he can finally walk into the place to meet the girl of his dreams, the lovely blonde Hana. Uh, meanwhile, Hana is an introverted otaku who's uncomfortable talking to people unless he's dressed in feminine clothes himself. Uh, while decked out in his best dresses, he works at a maid cafe and finds himself crushing on a young woman who regularly comes to visit him, a cool beauty named May. In this delightful LGBT plus rom-com, Two young people in love are about to find out a lot about each other and themselves. Um, so, you know, just like Lum here, I am also usually pretty interested in, like, most LGBT titles because I just find that stuff kind of interesting. And, yeah, I thought the premise for this sounded pretty interesting. You know, uh, two people who are into, you know, crossplay, as it were, uh, end up falling in love with each other. And, I don't know, this, this just sounds like it could be a cute series with... Uh, Probably a lot to say about, like, identity, I'm I'm sure. And yeah, I would just love to check it out. Next up, we have SHWD by Sono N. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, Coming physically and digitally this August as well, in which the year is 20X. Tough, 
but Idealistic Koga has just joined the Tokyo branch of the SHWD, otherwise known as the Special Hazardous Waste Disposal Unit, responsible for eradicating mysterious biological weapons that were left behind after the Great War. Her mentor, Sawada, is a woman with a powerful psyche who complements Koga's physical prowess. Something is sizzling between the two of them, and it's more than just a shared mission. Together, these two badass women must team up to confront horrors beyond their wildest nightmares. So obviously, you know, this sounds like it could be a pretty interesting, like, idea for a Yuri series. Um, part of this premise reminded me of um, of Kaiju number eight in particular, where specifically it's about, like, a cleanup crew, you know, that cleanup after, like, these big, like, sort of sci-fi disaster kinds of things. Um, so I, I kind of like that aspect about this series. I think it's an interesting take on this kind of thing. And yeah, I would just I would just love to check it out. I think the two main characters could have a pretty like interesting dynamic too, so I'm interested in uh, looking more into that. But uh, last thing I'm going to talk about from Seven Seas is a series that um, I was definitely not expecting anyone to pick up. It just in general uh, with the manga adaptation of Thunderbolt Fantasy by Yui Sakuma, uh, which is going to be released in two deluxe oversized omnibus volumes each containing about two volumes from the original release, with the first omnibus coming out in October 2022, in which, in an ancient kingdom, a vicious warlord is on the hunt for a magic sword. Don Fei has spent her whole life guarding the coveted Sword of Divine Retribution. Legends say its power is great enough to smite demons and shake the heavens. The master of the evil, uh, Zhang Guizong, I probably butchered that, I'm so sorry, uh, will stop at nothing to possess it, and dispatches his warriors to steal the Holy Blade. Uh, fleeing their pursuit, Don Fei uh, must rely on the unexpected help of two unusual strangers who are powerful swordsmen themselves, like a thunderbolt from the blue sky. A thrilling wuxia fantasy saga begins. Now, for those who don't know, this is the manga adaptation of a pretty interesting series called Thunderbolt Fantasy, which, uh, for those who don't know, is not animated. It's all actually like it's basically a puppet show. Like, all the characters are puppets that are, like, uh, marionetted and whatever. Like, it's a very interesting show. I've watched at least the first season, and I will admit, as much as I was, like, interested in it, like, it kind of took me a bit to get into the story, but, like, if you're not interested in it by the end of the season, uh, then I don't know. Like, I, I thought by the end of the season, I was, like, super interested in because, like, the world basically like opens up at the end of the season and I'm I'm really interested in like checking out more of this. It's going to be really interesting to go from the original show to the manga because like the whole point, I guess the whole like appeal of Thunderbolt Fantasy is that all the characters are puppets that you're basically watching fight, you know, and it's all like a lot of practical effects, obviously some CG in there, but like the puppetry on display, like I've seen like behind the scenes featurettes on this kind of stuff for this series in particular. And like, it is really interesting. Like the craft behind this thing in particular is so fun to watch. Like you're really watching this for mostly the special effects. Not that the characters aren't fun, but you know, th that's kind of the big appeal of Thunderbolt Fantasy in particular. So I'm really interested in like what the manga is like. Like as much as I'm like looking forward to this in particular, I will have to admit that like, I wonder if the like appeal of the story is going to be lost by going from the original to the manga. I don't know. So that, that I, I can't help but think about that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I, I'm just surprised that anyone picked this up because like, you know, we have like three seasons of Thunderbolt Fantasy picked up by Crunchyroll at this point. You can just watch them all on Crunchyroll officially, which is cool. But 
I don't know. I wasn't entirely sure what the audience for Thunderbolt Fantasy was like, you know, at least not enough to warrant like getting the manga for it. So it's it's kind of cool that we're getting this regardless, though. Um, have you seen any of Thunderbolt Fantasy? Yeah, I watched the first season. I enjoyed it. Yeah, like a good Gulf Patrillo and Genu Robochi writing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you get some fun stuff there uh, in terms of like world building lore and teams and stuff yeah so you know i've been meaning to return to it same yeah but i do find it surprising that we have gotten a license for the manga before a physical license for the for the show so but uh yeah you know i think it's interesting to have a different version of the story and a new medium and yeah I'm sure it'll be interesting to check out. I would definitely like to check this out, though. And I'm same. I, I need to check out more Thunderbolt Fantasy. I, I would like to like keep going with it eventually. Because, uh, like I said, it, it was it took a little bit for me to get into, but by the end of the first season, I was definitely hooked. Uh, also, uh, I think Hiroki Sawano did the music for it, if I remember correctly. Which, wow, the music for Thunderbolt Fantasy is so good. Um, but yeah, if you haven't checked it out, you should. Uh, and it'll give you an idea for to what to expect from the manga, maybe. But yeah, that's about it for all the Seven C stuff I wanted to mention. Uh, I did have one title from Kodacha that I wanted to mention, uh, with It's That Reincarnated as a Virus Story, written by uh, Kalaku Yuki and illustrated by Pirota. Uh, that's going to be coming out on the 11th digitally, I believe. And uh, synopsis is pretty simple, in which uh, a virus researcher was reincarnated into another world as the virus itself. Uh, the virus holds incredible power, but its transmission may just be a matter of life or death. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I mostly wanted to highlight this because I think it is a very interesting that we're getting a series about uh, someone being turned into a virus licensed during, uh, unfortunately, what is the pandemic? Uh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine this is, I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong, but like, I would be really interested in seeing like, how interested people would be in this series in particular, considering what, what we're dealing with at the moment. I don't know. It just, I can't imagine that a lot of people would be interested in this because it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to read about a virus, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, uh, th th that was mostly the reason I picked this because it's like, I just wanted to highlight this as like a Man, the, the timing on this is uh, is very interesting, to say the least, you know? Indeed. I imagine it'll be a case where the protagonist, as a virus, has the ability to be fatal on its enemies, but can somehow manipulate itself to actually have helpful healing properties on people it tries to help. It's like a sentient virus. Perhaps it can control itself in a way in which it can affect different people differently depending on what it wants to do. So it'd be interesting to see if that's the direction it takes about like kind of a, a living virus that can have like and make moral choices and judgments and control its power and how it spreads and how it chooses to express itself. No, I, I would at least like check out the first volume of this just to see how it goes. But again, yeah, the, the novelty of this being released during a pandemic is just kind of funny to think about in a way. Not funny, haha, obviously, but you know, it's just interesting to me anyway. But um, I guess moving on to another Kodansha title, not one, I don't think this was like announced by Kodansha themselves so much as like uh, people had found like listings for this on like other retailers and stuff, which is interesting. On places such as like Barnes and Noble, Rakuten, Bookwalker, 
and I'm sure this is also one that you uh, you were probably going to put on your list if I didn't. Yeah, this was the one I was most referring to about the title I was most excited about. But it looks like we are going to be getting at least the first volume of uh, another series from Yuki Kamatani coming on January 4th. So by the time you're listening to this, it should already be out. So actually, that's going to be coming out in March instead. Uh, Kodansha did confirm with uh, Anime News Network that they will be releasing the manga, uh, but it will be coming out in March instead due to a production issue on Kodansha's end. So uh, just wanted to give you guys that little update. Back to the show. We are getting the first volume of uh, Hiraith. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, The End of the Journey in which, after the death of her best friend, Mika is determined to follow her into the grave, but her suicide attempt introduces her to a world unlike any she's ever seen, full of gods and spirits and entities of which she could never have dreamed. But even with this world of wonder, can she find a way out of her sorrow? And this obviously, uh, I mean, you know, if you've read stuff like, you know, Our Dreams at Dusk, you know, this definitely seems like the kind of series that's going to, uh, I think, very deftly cover a particularly, like, touchy subject matter in a a way that I think will probably be interesting considering uh, uh, what we just read at the premise. So, yeah, this, this definitely really stuck out to me. Yeah, I definitely think Kamatang, we express, like, the painful emotions involved in grief and in this desire for self-harm in a way that is like powerfully and poignantly evocative and arresting in the same way that their visual imagery in Our Dreams at Dusk was just so powerfully evocative of so many like complicated, indescribable, but so real and so incredibly viscerally felt. Mm -hmm feelings and emotions in that series as well so yeah one that i know so many kamatani fans have been like excited to see licensed and one that i'm so excited to read and hopefully we'll have had a chance to read by the time they listen to this since it comes up recently Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely want to check this out at some point i mean i'm pretty much after our dreams at dusk i am pretty willing to check out more of kamatani's works at some point because uh they're obviously very capable of uh, some really really good comics i i would say but uh that's about it for kodansha stuff so we're gonna get into some indie publishers starting off with uh, glacier bay books in particular and i'm going to mention uh juji and aichi by junko yoshitomi uh which will be coming out digitally and in print sometime in 2022 no particular date yet, in which the series is a historical mystery about two men, an unsellable mangaka and a popular fantasy novelist, set in the fictional boarding house Ryokukan in the Meiji and Taisho eras and drawing on multiple literary works. So this sounds, I, I definitely am very interested in the setting of this, you know, Meiji, Taisho, Sengoku, like older period piece kind of stuff is already really up my alley. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, from the, what was it, the preview that Glacier Bay Books put up on their Twitter, uh, the art also looked very interesting to me, sort of minimalist in a way. Uh, I don't know, just just really kind of captured my attention. I, I would definitely like to check this out. And then uh, again, speaking of indie publishers, I am going to be mentioning another title from Starfruit Books in particular with Let's Meet in the Next Life by Yamazaki, in which an ex-gang member uh, moves into a new place that he seems to be sharing with the ghost of an old classmate. And apparently this is a one-volume sort of manga release that's going to be coming out sometime in 2022. And apparently, according to Starford Books, Yamazaki is still drawing the manga 
Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that uh, I I wonder if they picked this up like before it's even got a release in Japan. Because if that's the case, that's really interesting to me. Uh, we don't really know much more about the publishing of this outside of that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is supposed to be a BL manga. I'm not sure if I have that right. I forget I forget where I heard that or not. I, I might be wrong about that. But besides that, I, I just think this is an interesting uh, sort of story idea. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested in most stuff that Starbird Books puts out. So uh, I'm definitely going to be checking this out. And then uh, I guess last but not least, I do have one title from Cross Infinite World I wanted to put out there with uh, Even Dogs Go to Other Worlds, Life in Another World with My Beloved Hound, written by uh, Ryu-O and illustrated by Ririnra. I think I said that right, uh, coming March 31st, in which everyone knows humans get transported to other worlds, but now dogs do too? Takami is a wage slave who works overtime all the time. Only his little Maltese, Leo, can brighten his day. Uh, one day, however, he wakes up to find himself deep in an unknown forest. At his side is his pampered pup, who's now a giant mythical wolf. Uh, with his silver veneer companion and his mysterious new herb cultivation power, he'll finally have the laid-back life he's always dreamed of. Join Takami and his giant fluffy hound in a carefree romp through this otherworld fantasy tale. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't pick this because I'm also a dog person. And look, if I were going to be killed or or died and, and reincarnated into another world, I would I would like my dog to come with me. That's just me. <laughs> um, and I would love to have him, you know, like if he were going to transform into anything, I want him to transform into a giant big old wolf friend. I've always wanted a wolf friend. So, you know, this, this – uh, uh, honestly, th this this title is just like pure wish fulfillment for me, anyway. So that's kind of why I picked it. But uh, yeah, it just it just sounds cute. I'm a sucker for anything uh, starring a dog person, so I would definitely check this out. Um, but yeah, those are about it for uh, any titles I wanted to pick out in particular. And in general, I think we I think we did a pretty good job picking out a good like selection of titles from an from an otherwise once again uh, license filled past month. I'd say so. Yeah, a lot of really good titles announced last year. Um, but yeah, I guess until the next time we talk about licenses, that's uh, that's about it for um for licensing news. And I know we should get onto industry news here. And uh, is it okay if I start off with the first piece? Go ahead. All right. So this this one's pretty big, and I'm sure we're both really excited about this. But uh, recently, uh, Naoki Urasawa himself on his uh, on his YouTube channel, which uh, we'll link this video in the show notes for anybody who wants to watch, because it's also subtitled in English, so people who speak English can watch it too. But he basically announced that uh, I I want to say all of his stuff, all of his manga is going to be coming to digital. At the moment, I believe if you look on places like Bookwalker in Japanese, you you can look up first volumes of stuff like Asadora, Yawara, uh, Jigoro, 20th Century Boys, and Mujirushi. Um, so I don't think all of his stuff is available digitally at the moment, but I think eventually he is aiming to have all of his stuff available digitally, which is really, really big because as we've talked about on the show before – uh, Naoki Urasawa was one of the few like really big mangaka who uh, really was very hesitant about having his stuff available digitally. And, you know, we've also gone over this before, but he had his own reasons for why he thought like, oh, hey, you know what, if you want to read my stuff, you should read it physically because, you know, I have that format in mind, basically, while I you know, draw my stuff. And I think that's a very, that's a very valid reason for keeping his stuff, uh, you know, physical. But 
Uh, I think just like with um, with uh, with the author of Hajime no Ippo, you know, I think these bigger mangaka who have been kind of holding out on physical or uh, digital release, releases, I should say, you know, are realizing that, you know, because of COVID, like, you know, it might be a bit more feasible to have our works available digitally. And I, I can respect that. I really appreciate them, uh, you know, making their works more available. And, you know, uh, I thought the video he put out was really interesting. Like, he he really spends a lot of time, like, kind of giving his thought process on, like, again, why he decided to make his works available digitally. Because I think it, I, I believe he said he was, it was like the 40th anniversary of, like, of him becoming a manga artist, I believe, or at least like the 40th anniversary of, like, I think his first work. Uh, which is another reason why he wanted to celebrate by making these available. And uh, I also love that, like, he also, like, created this, like, little page where, like, because uh, I think one of the things he was kind of hesitant about going digitally was, like, the fact that when, like, when some people read on their phones, you know, obviously double page spreads are, like, so important to a lot of manga, and especially with, like, Urasawa's works. And, you know, he he even made, like, this special little page for for his stuff. And I think he said, he like, other mangaka can use it too, which is pretty cool, where it's, like, a little disclaimer saying, like, hey, you should read this, like, in double-page spread mode, which uh, I, I think that's a good way to, like, let people know, like, hey, this is the way I would prefer you to read my work, basically. Like a, like a, like a friendly suggestion, you know? Like, I think that's a good way to get around Urasawa's sort of misgivings about digital. Like, I think that's actually a pretty smart solution. Um, But, yeah, I mean... Uh, w- when this news hit, like, again, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I was very excited because, uh, hopefully this means we'll get more Urasawa stuff digitally, you know, overseas as well. I'm hoping that opens up the possibility now because, yeah, I mean, you know, as much as I would love to read Urasawa's works, like, I will admit, you know, uh, as someone who, uh, spent a long time trying to collect all the 20th Century Boys, uh, it is, you know, as much as I would love to own Urasawa's stuff, it is just a lot harder for me to make the time and uh, and the money to, you know, justify purchasing so much physical manga. Like, digital really is a godsend for manga uh, for manga collectors. So, like, you know, hopefully I'll be able to collect more Urasawa stuff digitally, you know? That would be that would be really cool. Yeah. It'll be great to have more Urasawa stuff available digitally. And potentially this could open the door for some of his longer work that, you know, might not be something publishers would want to commit to for print uh, being available digitally, like you are unhappy, which would be cool. And of course, you know, maybe this will be what it takes for Kadansha to do Billy Bat. Please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love to read Billy Bat. E- even even though I've heard some people say it's not that great, I, I would still like to read it for myself. I highly disagree. <laughs> and I'm sure... Aiden would agree with me. Billy Bat was fantastic and definitely deserves uh, more attention and praise and accolade. And hopefully that could happen if it were to get localized and more people got a chance to read it. It definitely at least deserves a chance to be released. I would at least like to read it and try it out for myself before, you know, obviously passing any judgment. But I'm, I'm sure it's good. You know, like, I don't know. I, I personally think Urasawa is pretty incapable of making a bad comic anyway. Well, some people think Happy is, like, too depressing. And admittedly, because of the premise, it kind of is, like, a... It is kind of tough to read at times. But, you know, I think it's... Uh, he's... All of his manga are, at the very least, incredibly interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I wonder if this means we can get maybe get, like, a digital edition of Pineapple Army in the West, maybe. Yeah, it'd be cool to have that kind of get a republish, reissue, relicense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, obviously, 
like I said, this is this is super big. Urasawa was like one of the few manga artists left. I guess at this point, besides Takahiko Inoue, he he might be the only big one left who's still kind of a. Uh, you know, uh, on the fence about having his work digitally available. But, and, you know, ho- hopefully Urasawa's loving embrace of the digital format will uh, encourage other manga artists to do so. I think he's found a pretty, like, sensible, happy medium like like a like a good compromise to having his stuff digitally available. You know, I'm I'm just I'm just happy he was he's able to like put his stuff out digitally in a way that like that like at least makes him happy. So like I'm I'm glad it's it's not seemingly one of those things where it's like, oh maybe the publisher like maybe Shogaku Khan like forced him to do it or whatever. Like he 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 seems like he's up for it and that that makes me happy. Yeah. I think it's a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely have some other industry news to talk about. Lum, if you want to take the next one. There are a lot of industry stories we need to touch on. And we'll start on the Japan side of things. One of the most interesting stories is that Ken Akamatsu, the creator of Love, Hina, and Ukyu holder Negima, is actually planning to run for the House of Counselors of Japan, basically the upper house of Japan's House of Representatives as part of the Liberal Democratic Party in summer 2022. And his main goal is being platform and running for the legislators to protect freedom of expression and yeah he's currently in the selection process of uh being approved and potentially he has already been approved to run as part of the party next year it's kind of interesting i mean we have kind of commented that akamatsu has been a fairly outspoken defender of freedom of expression in creative works whenever media outlets have gone to someone to talk about like various controversies in the past couple years about like censorship and media or whatever so I got to was like, yeah, I think that we should protect like creative intent and stuff like that. You know, he basically has had stances of like, I'm not super happy or, or I'm really curious about like trends overseas. I mean, I won't judge some things, but some things I'm like, I don't really super behind like erasing or removing passwords rather than simply leaving notes about the work and then preserving it in the present. So I feel like uh, his stances on a lot of freedom expressions are kind of in neutral or more towards the edge of like he wants to preserve like kind of an artist's intent on a lot of things it's kind of interesting like that he's so motivated by that idea that he wants to run for the legislator because mm-hmm. he's still like drawing manga like yuki holder still going so it's interesting it's interesting to see like a professional mangaka especially one of his you know, fame and having created like so many uh, pretty popular series on his world. Like he's entering like politics. Uh, I'm curious to see how that's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. I have this weird feeling that like, I mean, obviously I, I am no expert in Japanese politics, so I could be totally talking out of my ass, but a part of me feels like someone like Ken Akamatsu, even though he is a famous mangaka, like, I have to wonder if, like, you know, other Japanese politicians are willing to welcome him into, like, their circle, I guess. I, I have the feeling that, like, a-, a mangaka getting into politics might be a weird idea for a lot of people that they're not willing to really, like, open up to, probably, but that's just my prediction anyway. Yeah, it really is all going to depend on, like, the voters, though. Like, even if he's not, like, accepted into the upper crust social circle, I mean, there's, uh, you know, a lot of precedent of people who aren't really super, uh, you know, part of the main, you know, politics, like, community, like, kind of end up being popular with voters anyway and 
kind of get the position cemented that way. Mm-hmm. So I could see, you know, because he is sort of a celebrity in his own right, that gets him enough traction among voters for him to get a place in the House of Representatives, even if, like, he's not necessarily welcomed by his peers there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how this pans out. We'll see how far he really gets. But it certainly is an interesting and bold development on his part. Mm-hmm. I, I think this news came out technically in 2021, so I could say this. Um, I, I did not have on my 2021 bingo card, oh, mangaka gets into politics. That's that's not something I was expecting at all. In less fun news, we have to talk about some pretty heinous uh, stories yeah. that I need to issue a content warning for pedophilia and assault, sexual assault uh, against minors before talking about. So if you want to skip these stories, I mean, the timestamps should be there for you to just skip to mm-hmm. a court case that does not have all those things, we'll get to in just a bit. So you can skip to that and skip these next two stories. But perhaps like the most like disappointing and maddening of them is that uh please tell me Gakko-chan's creator Kenya Suzuki was arrested in late December on suspicion of possessing child pornography imported from Germany and he allegedly had six photo collections he had received by International Mail on two separate occasions in September and October of last year. And his statement to the authorities was that he desperately wanted to acquire nude photos of foreign children that cannot be acquired in Japan. Oof. And uh, the police have confiscated 46 books and publications containing child porn from his residence. Uh, and it's disgusting and awful. And it comes, like, after people were, like, wondering what was going on with him because he had gone missing for, like, a week. Yeah. And people were, like, tweeting about, like, oh, what happened to this guy? And then he was found. And you wonder if this was, in, that, that disappearance was in connection to this. Like, maybe he had already been kind of taken in police and just no one knew. Mm. So we don't know for sure. But, like, it's, it's a suspicious timing on that news of his disappearance and then this news coming out. Mm-hmm. But... It's really disappointing and upsetting, especially because a lot of people like Galco Chan for, you know, how the series had approached topics of, you know, sexuality of like characters kind of exploring that as like, you know, teens and puberty and whatnot. And now like this whole news really makes that entire idea of the series exploring those themes kind of really icky when you think about the person behind them and their interests so it is really disappointing always, really infuriating always to have a creator whose works, you know, people really respond to and really enthused by uh kind of break their trust and break their hearts by kind of revealing that they had a latent sickness in their minds that they acted on and contributed to like active harming of children and sexual abuse and it's just it is just awful. It's just always an awful thing to talk about. I don't like to have to do it, but, you know, as a news podcast, it is news that we need to talk about and we need to acknowledge. And in the aftermath of his arrest, his manga has been suspended, but not outright canceled. So this kind of feeds into something that we've also been incredibly frustrated by with the industry, that they are not willing to simply oftentimes just excommunicate people who... um, you know, I've committed these crimes 
And they leave the door open for re-entry without proper rehabilitation and the process of like actually like making amends and apologizing and atoning. It's just like an easy slap on the wrist and then you're back to do what you do kind of thing. Yeah. So we'll see how this turns out. Like, I mean, if he actually gets arrested long term then you know obviously i don't think the series is gonna come back but if he just gets off on this charge and i don't know if they'll let him continue this the series certainly i don't think we can expect uh, seven seas to continue publishing it for good reason and uh that would be a i, I hope they would stick to their guns on that so yeah you know We'll just have to see how the situation turns out. But considering a news piece that we're not going to dwell on about like a series, very beloved popular series by a convicted pedophile getting a new adaptation and with that new pressing promotion this year, like, you know, the Japanese manga industry does not have a good track record with this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, they, they, they care about whether you have like an ounce of weed on you and that just ruins your life but no this this no this is this is just fine apparently yeah no ounce of weed cheating on someone cheating on admittedly like one of the highest profile act singers in the industry will get you like get all your roles removed and blacklist you but like yeah no sexual sorrow child porn won't get you kicked out no it's it's bullshit quite honestly like, I can't stand it, and I hate it. Yeah, so, I mean, the unfortunate, uh, disgusting thing is that, like, it's not the only story that we have to talk about, like, related involving this kind of thing, because a manga creator in the Chara Chara Makiyard unit was also found recently guilty of sexual assault on a minor. Kanansha, in this case, you know, halted contracts with their author and halted but once again, they just halted the two serializations of Nakayoshi. They haven't, like, completely canceled them, so they've left the door open yet again for this these stories to continue. But, like, I won't go to the specifics, but this assault case was on an extremely young child last year by a person in their mid-40s. And, I mean, they've been sentenced... They were sentenced as three years in prison, but, like, the sentence is suspended for five years. So, like, this person is not serving prison time actively right now and won't if they don't do anything that will get them in trouble for five years. So, basically, again, slap on the wrist kind of thing, just like in many of the precedents we've discussed before. So, I mean, again, it really shows the war priorities of uh, not just the manga industry, but, like, the Japanese uh, judicial system when it comes to assault cases on women and children. It's just awful. I mean, we recorded a podcast about this topic and kind of our frustrated feelings about this, uh, specific in regards to Shonen Jump's cases of this specifically, that I think describes kind of our exasperation of this very well. But, um, yeah, I just, we, obviously as outsiders to Japan, you know, there's not much we can do but express our disgust at the situation. But yeah, I mean, there, there needs to be some change uh, culturally and legally over there. Please, yeah. To talk about like less distressing stories about court cases uh, in Japan recently, Hikaru Kondo, the founder of Uvatabo, was handed a suspended sentence for Uvatabo's tax evasion. He was sentenced to 20 months of prison, but it's not going to serve time, you know, if he remains in good behavior for three years. So, yeah, like, 
they have basically said that like Kondo kind of had the intent to commit the fraud, so they acknowledge that, and like Ufadal had to publicly acknowledge the sentencing and apologize to fans and stuff, and that they're going to use the incident as an opportunity to move towards a more sustainable level of production within their legal bounds. But yeah, so I don't know, like necessarily. Like, what this necessarily means in terms of, like, kind of Ufagawa needing to, like, pay back, like, all the taxes that they kind of negged on and they didn't pay in the past couple of years and how that's going to affect them financially in the future. But at the very least, it seems like Kondo himself has kind of gotten off of, like, having to go to jail for this. So it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see, like, the fallout of the case's effect on Ufagawa as a studio. I mean, it's clearly they're not... They, Surely shouldn't be able to get away with tax evasion again. So, like, you know, maybe uh, we'll see some change in how that studio is uh, operated. Again, you would think with all that Demon Slayer money, they would be able to pay off their taxes, you know? Yeah, you gotta wonder where that money was really going to. Surely, but it seems like a lot of that is not really going back to the studio itself. Uh, at least not as much as it should, considering. Probably some embezzlement going on. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, or going back to, like, the other companies on the committee, like Shueisha and Toho and whatnot. That's true, too, actually, yeah. I mean, on the subject of uh, other court cases where, like, fines were asked to be paid, two ad agencies that worked with Mangamura, a piracy site in Japan, were ordered by the Tokyo District Court to pay 11 million yen for soliciting advertisements on that site. And, you know, related to Ken Akamatsu, again, like, he was involved in, like, filing lawsuits against both agencies, you know, claiming that his manga had been illegally posted there. And this is going to be the first time that an advertising agency is going to be held liable for manga piracy, which could be an interesting precedent to set for the future. Like, if advertisers can realize that they can be in legal trouble if they associate with piracy websites and advertise on them. The judge ruled that, you know, Mangamura, of course, infringes copyrights for his privacy. Uh, the agencies that pay the advertising fees to the website operator assists in this copyright infringement. And that this does indeed affect sales, like the sales of Akamatsu's manga. So, yeah, like, like uh, people involved in the administration of Mangamura have been handled, like, guilty verdicts and uh, extensive uh, prison time, as well as fines. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like how this new case, like this new decision from the Tokyo District Court on like punishing advertisers on among piracy sites may affect the state of piracy sites uh, in the future, perhaps help in the case towards their dismantlement. This about does it for Japanese industry stories, but we have some major stories to talk on the English North American publishing size. Also related to court cases, court decisions, we have Penguin Random House, like, kind of trying to argue in favor of its acquisition of Simon Schuster being pro-competitive, basically arguing in court against the U.S. Department of Justice lawsuit against them to block their purchase of Simon Schuster. Like, they say that, you know, their acquisition is going to be pro-competitive. They don't really clarify, uh backed well in much way other than like it's gonna enhance distribution capacity to more authors including Simon Schuster's authors and that the Department of Justice can prove that meager that the merger will reduce competition or diminish pay for book rights they can't prove that that's gonna happen so yeah like the attorneys are saying that it's going to be pro-competition um I don't know if their case is like necessarily substantiated 
beyond conjecture to a great degree, I think. But we'll see if, like, they, the lawyers for Penguin Random House, like, end up being able to make a good enough argument that convinces the judges handling the court proceedings of the lawsuit in this case. And we'll see how, like, this merger ends up turning out. Whether it will be successfully blocked or will, whether it will actually go through. But that's not the only big publisher acquisition and merger to talk about because Dark Horse basically opened itself up to being sold and was acquired by the Embracer Group. It's basically now been integrated into the Embracer Group and it's like its tent operative group in that conglomerate. And Embracer acquired 80% of the Dark Horse shares from a seller in Hong Kong and China and the remaining 20% from the CEO and COO of Dark Horse. And Dark Horse's founder and CEO Richardson is going to continue to lead the company with the existing management. And COO Hankerson is going to stay with the company. And the companies are exciting the transaction to be completed in 2022. And there's no planned tra- restructuring, so hopefully no layoffs and stuff. Embracer agreed to the merger because they hope to strengthen their transmedia capabilities and add expertise in content development and comics publishing and film intelligence through their acquisition. Basically, they're, they're looking for adaptation rights, really, from Dark Horse's properties and intellectual properties. They're looking to exploit their IP for products and adaptations for film and television in particular. Well, have to see what this means for the manga side of Dark Horse. Like, people who work for Dark Horse don't really feel like this will affect the manga side that much. Others are skeptical that, like, Embracer will keep mangas a priority or subject of interest for Dark Horse rather than their kind of original published properties. But we will have to see how this turns out. But Dark Horse being acquired by another group really has once again diminished the number of independent manga publishers in the market right now. Like Seven Seas is really the major one since other publishers are like subsidiaries of bigger publishing houses and conglomerates. So yeah, we'll have to see how this pans out, how this is going to affect Dark Horse in the future. Now, we have another partnership of shorts happening in that Aski has announced that they are doing an exclusive partnership with Kaiten Books. Basically, Kaiten Books titles will only be on Aski. These include current and future volumes of the series they already have on there, as well as any new series by Kaiten. So, series like Usume, Gacha Girls, Carl Jackets, and Scott Debating, and That's the Queen of YouTubers. You can only read them as part of the ASCII subscription, uh, no other subscription services for manga, and future Kaiten titles will also be exclusive to ASCII as, as a subscription service. So I don't necessarily see this as a good or bad thing. I just see it as an interesting thing that like ASCII has made moves to have exclusives by having this exclusive partnership with Kaiden Books. And that kind of makes the service, like, stand out. Because now you know, as, like, a consumer, that, well, if you want to read these titles as part of, like, a subscription service, like, you can read Kadancha Comics titles on a lot of different services. But if you really want Kaiten, there's only one place to get the bulk of their catalog as part of a monthly subscription service. So that's interesting. 
Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily like a net good for the consumer. I think it's like more of a neutral kind of thing. But I think it's interesting Oski's making those moves to like say, okay, we have exclusive titles for our service now. So here's like an incentive for you to have our service for these particular titles. Which they've been doing a good job of by working with the smaller publishers to get their titles on their like Lakeshore Bandstar for as well. So yeah, like it's, it's an interesting move for my ski. And I'm curious to see like uh, if they make more such deals in the future. I think this is definitely a good thing because i'm pretty sure we've said before that like you know asuki looked like a pretty cool service but it's like well okay they're like the 1000th uh, manga app online to have all the kodacha stuff that's not really that interesting anymore so you know i'm glad they're going out of their way to make deals with these other publishers where you can't really read their other stuff anywhere else so i i, th- I think this is a good move on on asuki's part because like yeah it's good for them as a business like from the consumer perspective it's like okay well i know now i can only read these things from here but like you know it doesn't necessarily mean like oh well if they didn't have this exclusive deal and kaiten could be read anywhere like you know that that's not necessarily a bad thing for the, the consumer. But yeah, if you like specifically are like interested in like, oh, well, what is the value of having an Oski subscription? Like this is definitely a good move from Oski's part yeah, to like yeah. say, hey, we have exclusive, we have titles that if you want to read these just as part of an subscription and not buy these like as individual volumes or whatever, like, hey, you can get our service. So yeah. It is a good move on their part for, uh, you know, to attract interest by having an air of like, hey, here's some exclusivity. Like, here's something you can only get here nowhere else. For sure, yeah. But speaking of other like digital manga services that are kind of popping up, we're getting another one called Manga Plaza that'll come out in spring 2022. And this is going to be launched by NTT Somer Group. And this is going to have like a content library for manga Japanese publications it's going to mainly specialize in Kodansha comics titles and original titles that have yet to get English releases so they're going to launch a trial page with pre-registration on January 24th and then readers will be able to access 72 titles free of charge during the pre-registration campaign you're going to have a monthly subscription model granting access to a library of 10,000 content. It's a very nebulous word. We don't know if that means 10,000 titles, chapters, or pages. I'm leaning towards chapters, but yeah, we'll see how that actually pans out. But they're going to offer individual purchases of digital content as well. And that includes, you know, popular Kodansha titles like Attack on Hunter, Tokyo Avengers, Jaffru, and stuff. And the library is going to have like a lot of different genres available. Like you're going to have a diverse selection of titles. And so the ebook division manager, Shinya Sumida, said in regards to the launch that as a member of the contents industry, we have an important role to play in stopping the circulation of pirated content with the launch of Manga Plus. We hope to bring about change in this industry. I kind of don't necessarily like that they refer to this as content instead of just manga. Like, I feel like that kind of like devalues the comics when you just refer to it as the nebulous term of content for sure yeah. in the same vein of like anything else that just is meant to be brought as a product and consumed and stuff and not really you know thinking of it as a, like the art form that people want to engage with but you know I, I think that it's an interesting move that they want to have titles Again, that, you know, don't currently have English releases, potentially titles that aren't available elsewhere, at least a lot of them wouldn't be available elsewhere. And they're going to have a lot of uh, titles, like, up front. And again, this is another example of, like, Kodansha just, like, putting their titles, like, everywhere to all sorts of these new services, their main strategies. Like, just making their manga available as many places as possible is rather than a centralized occasion, which is interesting. 
And yeah, I'm curious to see like what new titles might pop up on the service. And I'm interested in seeing like how the quality will be because with this launch number, the number of titles they plan for at launch, I am skeptical. I imagine they might be trying to do a lot of these on the quick and on the cheap and potentially with machine translations. So we'll see how the quality control on a lot of these new titles will be. But, you know, initially it's going to be free of charge. So it'll be definitely be something to be, that'll be worth sampling and seeing how it turns out. If anything, it's just interesting to see even more manga digital subscription services and platforms continue to be launched. But on the subject of controversy of, like, poor localization on the cheap and machine translation being experimented with, we have recently gotten a report from an anonymous translator to ANN that Amimaru is uh, experimenting with, you know, machine translations for commercial manga releases. And they are trying to use it as an excuse to pay translators less than they already do and mechanize the art of translation. And, you know, I think the translator who broke the news anonymously and, in, you know, put it best is like being disgusted about those movies that attempt to destroy the work that goes into manga and translation. And it is kind of disrespectful to just like put someone's work, put an artist's work and spit out a machine translation, like kind of just factory cheap. Very manufactured. Yeah, it's just. Like, local, good localization requires a lot of care, uh, a lot of thought behind it that needs the human touch, that needs collaboration between different people, as we've so often discussed before when talking and interviewing localizers on the show. So this idea of taking, like, the human element out of localization is just such a cynical move that is done for the sake of profit and speed more than actually trying to put out a good quality piece of work and art so it's just really aggravating to hear that this is what Amimaru and Kadansha who so frequently employs Amimaru is looking into. Of course Kadansha has at this time denied that they are exploring machine translation and has put out this piece that they believe translators are you know vital to the community and they support and are committed to healthy relationships with them. So hopefully they mean those words and it's not just PR, but, you know, considering, you know, conversations we've had with people who have worked in and observed how Kadanch's practices are like, I am a little skeptical. And especially since the translator who broke the new CNN, like, claims Kadanch should have been aware that the project that we're going to is evolving machine translation. Because translators provided samples that were made use of with the software. And they don't know the, what the deal between Amimaru and Kadansha is like exactly. But they know that Amimaru likes to pinch pennies wherever they can and wants to make deadlines as high as possible. So they speculate that this is a means to do things faster and cheaper. And, you know, Amimaru has a very infamous and poor reputation along the localization community as uh, we've brought up and discussed before so it's not surprising to hear that they would be looking to devalue the labor of localization even more through looking into and employing machine translation over the work of the translators and localizers themselves but yeah just just hopefully this won't catch on as a trend that spreads on to more commercial releases i don't want to like doomsay too much so 
forgive me, but it's stories like this that like do kind of feed into this fear I have when it comes to, you know, the industry and the state of it, because obviously manga is doing very well right now. Uh, and that's why so many companies want to jump on the train and, you know, make as much money as possible. And I get it's a business, but like, I feel like if anything is going to cause like, you know, the, like the downfall of like the Western manga industry, it could be like, you know, this kind of thing where it's like, you know, companies don't really give a shit about the state of their translations so long as it's fast and cheap. Like I, I feel like if this takes over a lot of like current releases we're getting, like, I feel like this could really hurt the industry. And that's, that's something I'm like genuinely kind of afraid of, but I'm I'm hoping we don't get to that point. Yeah. In general, I don't think... I think the idea and the desire to get out a bunch of series and thinking of it as content and the need to like fuel more and more content and just put that out there without regard to quality, I think it's very short-sighted and will do more to alienate potential consumers and fans than reap any reward. And it has the potential to just simply alienate readers. And that could have, you know, very damaging effects on the industry. It could lead to a decline and a disinterest in manga as medium because the value of manga the appeal of manga has been effectively cheapened. Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't help that, like, unfortunately, you know, a lot of consumers, especially people who are, like, basically armchair translators that think that, that think know what it goes into a good translation when they don't, you know, it, it probably also doesn't help that, like, most consumers probably don't even realize what actually makes a good translation, so they'll just kind of eat up anything is also kind of worrying, too. But, you know. Mm-hmm. But that does it for our industry news, so now we'll be moving on to interest pieces that mostly have to do with adaptation news and movie box office news and stuff like that, so a lot of cool stuff to talk about. But before we get to that, we do have a story involving Shoko Nakagawa that was a little worrying at first, but thankfully seems to have resolved itself. But basically what had happened was that Shoko Nakagawa on Saturday was hospitalized for anaphylaxis. Her throat had started swelling. Her entire body was itchy. And she was told that, you know, she had anaphylaxis, you know, and a decline in liver function. Uh, But she was hospitalized and she's slowly healing and she was actually released, you know, already. So she got treatment, uh, you know, anaphylaxis is like a severe allergic reaction that can be life-threatening, but she's, and she seemingly had gotten it by ingredient in a lot of medicine she's been taken to counteract fever, pain, fatigue, and stress uh, recently. So she just had an allergic reaction, but now she's just resting, recuperating at home. And yeah, so it's a good thing that things have just worked out and she's fine. But yeah, it's just a, an interesting case and something worth acknowledging. It's like, you know, hopefully she remains in good health and like she can just recover from treatment. Because I mean, it did affect like her throat having anaphylaxis. So I'm sure that will I mean she'll need to take a little bit of rest and break before she can do any performance stuff, singing or you know, doing talk shows and stuff like that. But yeah, now let's get into the TV and movie news. And the big news, well, a big news piece to start off with is that the Netflix Cowboy Bebop show has been canceled after only one season. It got a lot of streams in its first couple weeks, but not enough for Netflix, uh, especially considering the reception to it was 
fairly overwhelmingly negative, so it has not been continued for a second season. And yeah, I'm not super surprised again because, you know, it just did not get the positive buzz I think that they would be hoping for and mm-hmm. they would need for that. And also just not even though it was really well viewed for the first couple of weeks, it was a big drop off between the first couple of weeks between them, so interest has dwindled quite extensively. And, you know, it was a big news topic for a couple weeks but now i think people move on so yeah you know netflix keep up a show a failed experiment but hopefully they can learn from it for the netflix for the one piece live action show uh, yeah they, they share producer studio and stuff like that so you know Hopefully they do better with One Piece. But that's not stopping, of course, new live-action projects being made or being made by Netflix in particular because uh, live-action Mega Man seemingly is in the works for Netflix. It's going to be, you know, seemingly uh, worked on by the Henry Rusin and Aaron Schumann, who were announced as the writer and directors for the planned live-action project for Mega Man. And yeah, like the movie, like on their website, on the production company's website, Super Mache, like they say that the movie's in the works for Netflix. So yeah, it looks like Netflix has acquired this. And so it's not... I don't know how involved they'll be as, like, a producer, but, yeah, I mean, live-action Mega Man, we'll see how well that turns out for them, and if that'll have better return than, uh, live-action Bebop. But as far as, like, how, you know, anime stuff is performing in the North American market, I always like to check in on anime film box office news, and SEO Progressive did, uh, pretty good on its opening weekend in early December. It earned about a million in a weekend gross, so it was like the highest grossing film for like films that were in and under a thousand theaters, so kind of uh, limited release showings. It was a fairly, it did fairly well for that uh, type of, for the amount of reach it had, and it ranked about 10th in the box office overall for its opening weekend, so pretty good showing for it, and they ended up like keeping it in theaters for about a good two weeks, so, you know, they, Funimation through Sony has been really, uh, been trying to get their anime film releases, you know, not only released kind of on prime opening release days, like releasing them on Fridays and the weekends and stuff, but also like keeping the films and theaters longer with more showtimes every day, which is always cool to see. And I hope we see that same approach be done with Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which now should also fall under the Funimation Sony umbrella now that Crunchyroll was acquired by Sony. And yeah, like it did extremely well in Japan. You know, we had a big hit in 2020 with Demon Slayer Mugen Train breaking a bunch of records. And Jujutsu Kaisen Zero did not quite break uh, the same records, but it did, like, did extremely well at the box office. It is the second highest grossing uh, three-day opening weekend for Japan ever after Mugen Train. It earned about $23.5 million in its opening weekend, so did extremely well. Sold nearly 2 million tickets. It was, like, really, really popular, really well attended, doing very well. It's on its way to definitely clearing the 10 billion mark, which is about 87 million. I think it'll definitely, I think it for surely could make the 100 million mark. Who knows? Like, considering Demon Slayer's opening weekend was 44 million and went on to gross in Japan, like, over 300 million. Like, who knows how much Jujutsu Kaisen could grow? It could easily go over 100 million. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how 
how well the long-term success of this film will be, but it seems like definitely a lot of hype uh, and a lot of anticipation for this film and a lot of people want to see it. And I think that we could see similar success for it when it comes out in North America, inevitably. I hope it comes out soon. I hope it comes out soon. (laughs) Yeah, I really want to see it. And on the subject of the Japanese box office, let's talk about what the highest grossing films in Japan were for 2021. And of course, a lot of them were in Indeed, anime films, domestic films. The number one, I mean, yeah, let's just go top to bottom here. The number one highest grossing film in Japan last year was Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 twice upon a time. The conclusion of the Evangelion Revealed series that earned over 10 billion yen, which is about $89.5 million. Extremely successful. And quite a gap between number one and two, because number two is Detective Conan, The Scarlet Bullet. Of course, Detective Conan films always do really well, and Scarlet Bullet did really well. One of the highest-grossing Conan films. That earned about $66.6 million, about $7.65 billion. So as you can see, it's like a $20 million gap between Conan and Evangelion. So the Ava Revo finale film did, did really, really well. Uh, Bell, which is Mamoru Hosoda's highest grossing film, earned about 6.53 billion yen, otherwise like 56.9 million US dollars. So Bell, like, did extremely, extremely well as well. The Tokyo Revengers live action film earned 4.47 billion yen, 38.9 million dollars. Also really successful, like that the adaptation Tokyo Revengers blew up both as a manga, an anime, and the film really did well. Uh, the final Kenshin film also did well, uh, 37.8 million dollars and stuff, which, you know, Japan, uh, still is into Kenshin. And then finally, like, worth acknowledging is that the My Hero Academia third movie, World Heroes Mission, that earned about 3.37 billion yen and 29.3 million dollars, like almost double of what Heroes Rising did. So it was a good showing for MHA. Like, I mean, JJK, you know, is going to clear that number or almost earned that much just in its opening weekend. But like MHA, the third film like doubled nearly what uh, the second film did domestically. So, you know, continued hype and enthusiasm. I think uh, a four, potential fourth film could also do extremely well for it. And uh, yeah, so those are some highlights of like anime and uh, adaptations of manga that did extremely well at the Japanese box office last year. Most of them doing better than any foreign film uh, outside of Japan at the Japanese box office. The only one that would have cracked into the top 10 highest grossing films uh, combined between Japan, Japanese domestic films, and international films playing in the Japanese box office would have been F9, which (laughs) did earn more than the MHA film at 31.9 million US dollars. And yeah, but, you know, the Fast franchise is hugely popular internationally, so no. Too surprising to see it do well in the markets it opens at. So, yeah. I mean, interesting stuff in terms of box office. I mean, the big winner is definitely Ava's 3.0 plus 1.0, which is well-deserved because it's an immaculate, wonderful film. But it definitely leaves me interested to see what 2022 will bring for uh, Japanese anime films and how well they'll do. Because we're getting a new Makoto Shinkai film in the fall called Suzumi no Tojimari. Basically, the translated title literally would be Suzumi's door locking. And this is going to be sort of a modern adventure story, kind of an action film, road movie, about a 17-year-old girl from a quiet town who's, like, looking, or finds, like, a young man looking for a door. 
And they find a door within ruins in a mountain, and they open it, and soon more doors begin to open on Japan, bringing disasters from the other side of the doors. And the film is about the main heroine's liberation and growth as she closes these doors that are causing disasters. So a lot of potential, like, metaphors for, you know, coming of age, growing up, and stuff like that. And the three important points that Shinkai wants to emphasize in the film is that a real movie about Japan, a story about closing doors rather than opening them, and he wants it to be a reason to visit the movie theater. So he's planning for it to be a theatrical experience and uh, he elaborated on the theme of clone doors that it's like you know it can refer to tiny loose ends or finishing something which is you know intriguing thought about like what uh, team white wants to explore dramatically in this so yeah i'm curious to see how shinkai is going to follow up like previous two big hits in your name and veteran with you with this film and how well it does and yeah how well it's going to turn out and that's not the only film to be excited about because Fan favorite, potentially anime of the year, 2021, Awe Taxi, is getting a film on April 1st. And hopefully it's not an April Fool's joke, <laughs> but it's going to be called Awe Taxi in the Woods. It's going to be like somewhat of a compilation, somewhat of a new story. It's being dubbed a reconstruction of the anime episodes, but it's going to also depict what happened after the finale of the series. So kind of a combination, like compilation, new footage kind of film. And hopefully, yeah, again, it's not an April Fool's joke and like it actually comes out on the date, but the, the choice of April Fool's, April 1st is very interesting to me. So yeah, I'm curious to see how this film will turn out and if there's going to be any surprises for fans and people who are interested in potentially seeing more autexy, like, uh, come out of the film. And hopefully it gets localized, like, at least, if not, like, put in the theaters, put in on Crunchyroll or something. It's not the only film from a, a TV anime series that I'm looking forward to, though, because... The next Gridman Universe project film from Trigger and Surabaya is going to be a film. It's going to be, you know, the preview trailer visual like featured like Gridman and the Dynarex together. So it's going to be like kind of a combination of the Gridman characters and Dynazon characters. Like the teaser for the next project did say Gridman X Dynazon. So yeah, like. Yeah, we're going to potentially see the characters from both shows interact with each other. At the very least, like the central mechs are going to fight along side by side. So yeah, I'm super excited because I love Gridman and Dinozone. I like the Gridman universe they've been building up and I'm excited to see the next installment and excited to see it on the big screen. Again, hopefully it, it gets shown on the big screen here. But now we're heading into some... Jump Festa announcements. And of course, we got a big update on a film I think we're both looking forward to next year. Yeah, so uh, it's looking like Dragon Ball Super Superhero is going to be coming out in Japan on April 22nd, 2022. And uh, I'm, I, I mean, look, we're both very excited for, uh, for Superhero. Unfortunately, no North American release announced yet, but uh, I'm sure we'll be getting that eventually. I I think I've said it before, but I, I can't imagine that this film isn't going to come out at least a month after it comes out in Japan. I could see that happening. Yeah, the turnaround for Broly was just a month after, so I, I think we could readily see this in May. Unless they like want to stagger the release to not compete with a different film at the u.s box office like they could push it a little bit because Funimation is trying to give these films like wider reach and they know that dragon ball films could have like really good box office potential for them. yeah yeah so we could see what their strategy will be with the film but yeah like i i don't think we'll have to wait too long for this film hopefully not yeah uh the trailer for it looked pretty good the, the new trailer that came out anyway I'm, I'm i'm really i'm really excited for it yeah i think the animation looks fun i think that 
you know, I like that it seems this one is not going to take itself very seriously. And, you know, it's just going to be playing into this, like, silly superhero team, bringing back and recontextualizing the Red Ribbon Army uh, with new, like, I guess, descendants of them, followers in them, and they're, like, kind of built and convinced, like, their new, like, robot lackeys, that they're heroes fighting against, like, <laughs> the Z fighters as, like, the evil enemies. And then, like, it's seeming, like, in the trailer, like, at least Gohan playing into it or something. Like, it's the fact that, you know, Gohan's going to be prominent in the film is pretty nice, too. Cause, you know. And him and Piccolo and Pan, too, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pan, like, it was said to be you know, kind of a, a tank-girl character in the film, so I'm excited about that. Piccolo's scenes with tra- him training Pan or whatever were really cute in the trailers so far. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it's not a super secret that there's going to be at least one scene in which Goku is sparring with Broly because that's in the trailer and people have like freeze framed and says and seen that, yeah, that's Broly that Goku's fighting that one yeah. shot in the trailer. So we know we're going to have the follow up to Broly, which is nice. So yeah, like I am just looking forward to having a fun time with this film. Like I'm not expecting anything super dramatic. I'm just expecting, you know, some Dragon Ball slayness with some good character moments. And I think that's really all I can ask for it. And I think that'll just be a fun time. Yeah, this looks like it'll be more like a battle of gods kind of thing where it's like, there'll be like enough action in it, but it'll mostly be fun, I'm sure. Yeah, Battle of Gods was like spending time with the characters you love. I mean, it, eventually it did op- you know, Battle of Gods had the importance of like opening up the world by introducing Beerus and the accounts of the guards and multiverse and whatnot. I'm not even expecting anything that big from this film. I'm just expecting, you know, just some fun stuff and maybe we see some character growth for Pan and stuff like that that might establish some things that they might do with her in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's, I appreciate that it seems it'll just be a more sillier affair, a more comedic affair, which I'd like to see from Dragon Ball. For sure, yeah. I, again, we're both really looking forward to it. Uh, something else I'm sure we're both looking forward to is uh, the Spy Family anime, which uh, is going to be premiering this April 2022 and will run for two separate cores, which is pretty cool. And, uh, I believe Crunchyroll has already picked up the simulcasting rights for this as well, so we know where it's going to be streaming, and yeah, I mean, look, this was basically an inevitability, like, Spy Family was clearly going to get an anime whenever they could give it one, you know, so I'm I'm really excited to see how this turns out, I'm definitely going to be checking this out when it airs. Yeah, the trailer is really good looks super good i know a lot of people are like skeptical of like furahashi directing it because he takes liberties with the material he works with oftentimes but like he also makes great adaptations oftentimes of the things he handles so i think that the show will turn out really well and because it looked really great Mm -hmm. and the material is so strong so i think it's gonna be a lot of fun i think it's good that it's going to have uh, two cores because a lot of people were thinking that, oh, that seems too much for it. There aren't that many chapters. Well, I think people underestimate like how much content is in the chapters of the series and how much to adapt it at a good pace, you know, like they can mine from those chapters. So I think there's plenty of material to work from with what's already available with Spy Family. For sure, so yeah. I think that we have... we. Well, can have like the book course filled pretty easily with what's available. So I think uh, just a lot to look forward to with this adaptation. 
And speaking of like jump plus titles getting adaptation, I mentioned it before, Summertime Rendering, you know, we knew the anime was coming out 2022 and it's also coming out in the spring. So two jump plus adaptations running concurrently. And much like Spy Family, it's also going to be two core. And in addition, like it's going to cover the entire manga of Summertime Rendering, which may be a little fast because it's about a 12-ish volume series. So that'd be about, you know, two episodes per volume. But I think they can make it work, considering it's a trailer suspense kind of series. And indeed, Disney Plus is streaming the series worldwide and exclusively in Japan. So, yeah, interesting. Disney Plus is going to be streaming uh, anime simulcast. And um, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. It doesn't feel like it's a very Disney-type series, but, you know, neither really is The Simpsons, but we've accepted that as part of the Disney brand at this point, whether we want to or not, whether we want to see Lisa singing about how great Disney Plus is or not. But, you know, uh, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> they don't make the summertime rendering characters do something like that. But, you know, I'm just interested in watching this show. Like forward to Boats by Family and Summertime Rendering. And man, there's uh, even more stuff to look forward to like later in the summer in terms of jump adaptations. Yeah, and uh, one of those being, I mean, I guess, I guess this one in particular is not coming for a while because it was confirmed that the third season of Doctor Stone is going to be premiering in 2023. Uh, but I guess until we get that, uh, we're going to be getting like a Doctor Stone special involving Ryusui this summer. I'm really interested in like what that's going to be like. Um, has Ryusui been introduced in the anime yet? I haven't really been keeping up. No, the anime ended with the conclusion of the Stone Wars. Okay. So they teased the building of the ship, but they didn't like, you know, adapt any of the part really after, you know, Sabasa was like uh, frozen and stuff. So but I, yeah, I think what this special will be will probably be like an hour long kind of episode that will adapt like Ryusui's introduction arc and whatnot. Hmm. Okay. And yeah, I, I just think that they are just going to do the special because they're probably not prepared or ready to do like a full season. And also maybe there'd just be too much story material to do like a full, like even two core season for the, you know, Island arc. In addition to like the stuff leading up to that with them building the ship and stuff like that. So maybe this is way they can get some content adapted in the special and then like have, you know, just the right amount of chapters and story content for what they need to do with their season stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because initially I was kind of surprised that like we'd have to wait that long for another season of Dr. Stone. But it's like you said, they're probably I mean, I guess I don't know what the like what their production schedule at like TMS is like right now. But I don't know. It's it's interesting that we're going to have to wait that long. But I'm, you know, I'm 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 hoping that the excitement for the Doctor Stone anime in particular won't die down too much until then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward to seeing Ryuji animated and uh hearing him on the on screen too. That'll be fun. Something else I'm really much looking forward to is the 6th season of My Hero Academia uh that'll apparently be premiering uh, in fall 2022, so probably around like October, probably I would assume, honestly. Um, And there's already a PV out for it, which, you know, I was watching it and like, it's really hard for me to tell like whether this is like all, because there's like footage from like, from like the war arc in the PV. Um, So it's really hard for me to tell whether like this is all like specifically for the PV or if like some of this has actually already been done. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I heard somewhere that, like, the production schedule for My Hero Academia is usually pretty decent, and they're able to, like, 
get a lot of it done ahead of time, but I, I don't really remember how true that is for sure. Yeah, I am not sure either. They have either pre-animated this trailer or this is like just early scenes that they have managed to finish as they've begun working. Because all of this would be like early scenes from the arc anyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll see. But if, if any of these shots actually end up making it into the show. <sighs> I, I am a little sad that we're going to have to wait most of the year for the next season because like the next season with the material they're adapting i'm actually really looking forward to like how they handle it i hope they handle it a little better than like my villain academia which i don't think was like bad or anything but they clearly had to like not speed run but they definitely had to cut out some material here and there yeah i think the beginning of the arc suffered the most in terms of material cut for sure yeah Overall, I still found it fun to watch because I liked the arc, but yeah, I was, uh, I think that they didn't need, like, the movie tie-in episode. No, they didn't. <laughs> and they didn't need to, there were definitely episodes, you know, where they were only adapting two chapters an episode that they could have sped up a bit, uh, so they could have had time to not cut things out from that, so... I think that they'll handle this better because I don't think that they will do the kind of stuff after the arc, like the stuff after the, you know, short time skip we kind of have at the end of this arc. I don't think they'll cover any of that stuff. No, I don't think so either. So I think they'll just do the, the Liberation War arc. And so, yeah, I think they they won't really have any room to cut out anything because like that it's going to be just enough chapters for them to do two cores, I think. I think so too, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty excited though. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing some of this animated, and uh, I'm especially looking forward to uh, when they get to the stuff afterwards. I'm just gonna put that out there. Mm-hmm. But MHA isn't the only jump anime adaptation that's long awaited that you can look forward to. Are not the only adaptation of a war arc you can look forward to in the fall because Bleach's Thousand Year Blood War arc is finally premiering in October 2022. We got the preview out and we got, you know, that very classic Ichigo team playing throughout the preview that brought back some nostalgic memories. Show looks really good and yeah, like, you know, I've been, you've been looking forward to you know the new bleach adaptation the adaptation of the final arc is finally coming october just a few months away and yeah i think uh if you can look forward to it it seems like it'll be do it'll be done really well it'll be a really well done adaptation like uh it's going to be you know directed by the director of uh akadama drive and twin star exorcist tomohisa taguchi and his style definitely shows uh in the trailer a lot and i think it's a good aesthetic that fits bleach really well especially this part of the story so yeah looks really good and even though i'm not the biggest fan of the arc definitely parts of it that i'm like and i'm interested to see animated so yeah i think it's gonna be a good adaptation yeah I'm, i mean look i haven't really like interacted with bleach in a long time and i i have not read any of the thousand year blood war arc but i i'm not gonna lie when i saw that when i took a look at the trailer and they started playing number one i i did i did get a little nostalgic and i did get a little excited so yeah i I saw a lot of people looking forward to this (laughs) it was a very well edited exciting trailer Mm -hmm, for sure Speaking of exciting trailers, uh, we did get more follow-up that the Chainsaw anime will come in this year in 2022. We don't know when, but they promised it will come. They released a new trailer that was mostly manga images until like the very end where they had Makama animated. But that little bit was pretty cool. So yeah, you know, I think we're both looking forward to Ooh, this yeah, yeah, seeing yeah. how 
Mappa's adaptation will turn out because uh, surely it will be really cool. I, I mean, one thing I will say is that uh, considering apparently how much anime Mappa's going to be making in the next year, I am a, I, it might not be too much of a surprise that they don't have like a specific release date for this yet. Mm-hmm. It may be a thing where they have to like promise that is coming this year but in practice it doesn't actually come out until December probably not yeah. because of their schedule because we know for sure that another one of their shows another one of their jump adaptations is coming out in the fall and that's Hell's Paradise Jigo Karaku that has been confirmed for a fall 2022 date and uh yeah like I am curious to see how that'll turn out. Or rather, actually, I don't think it's been confirmed for all. The stage plays confirmed for Paul, but the, the show is planned to still come out this year. And we have more footage in the trailer for this one. Oh, yeah. It looks super good. It, yeah. They they have really gone all out and looks really beautiful, really good. So, yeah, I'm. Of course, I love Hail's Paradise, so I'm excited to see how their adaptation comes out for this, too. Like, they're a really. They're killing it with these annotations. I just hope they're not killing their staff. Please. You know? Please. I Hey, Mappa, if you're listening, treat your staff better. Yeah. God, you know, I really hope they're getting the rest, all the rest they can, because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of in disbelief how much they're doing next year. Mm-hmm. And then the final jump anime announcement to talk about is that Ayakashi Triangle is getting a TV anime that'll presumably come out this year but yeah like it's going to be produced by Aniplex and there's a website and Twitter out for it and yeah so this is kind of one of the most recent jump series to get a new anime like it's kind of surprising Ayakashi is getting it before Mashal or Undead I kind of expected those to get it and certainly I'm sure a lot of people who are big into the Yosuke family are kind of you know, <laughs> probably pretty salty. Little nips <laughs> that Akashi is getting it first. Oh man! Since you know Yosuke's seniority and also Yosuke is really good, but Akashi, yeah, I, you know, Kitaro Yubuki has had hit after hit where he says stuff, and Akashi definitely seems like it's tailor made for appeal once it gets to animated, the animated location. You know, a lot of merch and whatnot they can make out of this. So yeah, I. uh I'm curious to see how it'll turn out. Hopefully it's a well-executed, well-done adaptation. I'm sure like a lot of the parts involving the fan service series that I don't like are going to be accentuated. Yep. So yep, yep, I don't yep. know if I'm super looking forward to actually watching it. But there, there are probably going to be some scenes, the parts I do really like, like some of the battles and some of the character moments that will be nicely done. So yeah, I'm going to be curious to see how uh, who gets cast in it and how the overall quality of the show will be. But yeah, uh, interesting to see, like, this is, you know, a series that is really only a, a year and a half old at this point. So yeah, like, one of the most recent Jump series, Ayakashi is the first of that crop to get adapted. And uh, we'll see what else, what other Jump titles uh, end up following suit in terms of the most recent stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's talk about the big one. This was a huge surprise. They got, like, me and Sakaki just on our phones all day, just following the news <laughs> and, like, talking, is this legit? Is this actually happening? But indeed, it was eventually confirmed later that day on New Year's Eve 2021 that in the year 2022, there is going to be a Yurusei Yatsura reboot anime that will air on the Noitama program of Fuji TV later this year. We don't know exactly when, but it's going to be airing on Fuji later this year. It's going to be a four-core 
series. It'll run for a full year, not necessarily consecutively, because they're saying that the first season is going to come out this year, and then potentially they'll have another season to take a break between, like, two cores or whatever and come back for the second half later. But, yeah, it's going to be, like, full, like, four-core, 48 to 52 episodes, and they are going to adapt selected stories from the manga. Basically, it's going to be a best of the greatest hits of the manga. The, the t- title of the series is Yurisi Yatsura, like, all-stars. Okay. Like, it's, you know, going to be, like, a celebration of the best stories from the manga. You know, bold in celebration of, like, its 40th anniversary, like, earlier in October 2021. And also the 100th anniversary of Shigakukan as a publisher. Oh, wow. So, celebrating those two occasions. And, of course, for premiering it in 2022, the Year of the Tiger, which also very fitting, because it's Lums, Tigers, Stripes, Bikini, and whatnot. And also, the Association Tigers have an Oni and whatnot. Now, this is going to have a completely new production staff, and also, seemingly, a completely new voice cast. Because uh, Taro is no longer going to be portrayed by uh, Toshio Furukawa, but instead by Hiroshi Kamiya. It was Law in One Piece and Levy and Tekken Titan. Choromatsu. Yeah, Choromatsu is a good comp, uh, very good prop player roles. And Suri Asaka is going to be portraying Lum. She's Shaltier and Overlord. And most famously recently, Nakatoro and Miss Don't Toy With Me Nakatoro, which is kind of a fitting casting comparison to Lum as a character, especially in the, in the early series of Rizzi Asura. But yeah, so they have been cast and Kamiya kind of did a a video like about the announcement and like his impressions and you can also hear his performance as ataru in the trailer that they have made and yeah it, the trailer looks really good and it should because it's being done by david production is producing the series it's being directed by the directors of jojo goluin hidea takahashi and yashihiro kimura and scripts are going to be done by yuko kakahara who also did work on renee but all three seasons so They've had experience handling adaptations of Takashi's part before and generally have done good work on their adaptation work, like with Chaya Furu and Cells at Work. And uh, Nayuki Asano is signing characters, and they did designs for Mr. Osamatsu and Keep Your Hands Off Face Again, which is quite fitting, uh, considering that many years ago when we did the Yurisi Atsura episode on Mavericks, we joked about how great it would be for Yurisi to have a Osamatsu-style adaptation, like to have that aesthetic with oh, it. Wow. So yeah, the designs have that appeal. And that sense of coloring and highlights just totally. And yeah, I think Lum's design looks really good because they still emphasize like kind of the green hair of her previous anime design. But now they're incorporating more of the translucent look of her hair as in the manga. So I like that marriage of those two aesthetic qualities. And I think it looks really good. The little bit of animation we have of her in the trailer. And yeah, I mean, beyond the series uh having also in the title to represent like the fact that it's going to be a best of of the greatest uh most popular series of manga it's also seems like it's an all-star production team like that's going to be working on the project and it's really exciting and yeah obviously you know this is my favorite series and i'm looking forward to having more of it and i'm just curious to see like what stories they adapt i'm hoping some stories that were never adapted in the original show end up being adapted in the new one because there are about 50 stories ish that were never adapted in the previous anime mm. that i would love to see animated and of course i'm expecting the iconic stories that are always brought up as like fan favorites best stories like 
we know that After You Gone is coming. We know that I Love Darling Sincerity is coming. Stuff like that, we know it's going to be adapting this new show. I'm curious to see what the new show's take on these stories will be. I would love to see, like, I'm sure they're going to try and stay more faithful to Takahashi's vision and narrative, but I think it'll be, like, I would like still to see the creative liberties taken, like, flourishes and enhancements to the material in the same way the previous anime did, and what the directors themselves did with Jojo Golden Wind fleshing out a lot of the material of that series and that story so yeah i just want them to play around with the world and these iconic stories and characters a lot because i think that makes things super fun and interesting and really represents the ethos and spirit of what yours is all about but yeah obviously very excited for this and uh, definitely you can expect on lump squad you know some big coverage of the series we've already like Right at midnight, we recorded a special Lump Squad, me and AC, together with Sakaki and V-Lord, because they were there, and Sakaki was just reporting this news and the leaks and all that stuff the entire day, so he was pro- so appropriate to just have the mom to talk about it, and we just, like, you know... We just, we tend to just do a little mini thing about this, but we just spent, like, we just recorded a full-length episode right at midnight about this news, because we just had so much to say, so much speculation. So, that episode might be out by the time you're listening to this. Probably it will be by the time you're listening to this. But yeah, like, we have a lot of thoughts, a lot of excitement uh, for this new series. I know so many other Sci fans that I follow and keep up with the community are so excited, so hyped for this. Like, it's, you know, really electrifying. It's really (laughs) exciting. Like, I just uh, really look over the moon and look forward to this. And yeah, I can't wait to watch it. And can't wait to see, like, what stories they're going to adapt. And yeah, it's really cool news. And easily, obviously, pretty untoppably, the anime I'm looking forward to most this year. And with our coverage of all that great anime news out of the way, I think that's a perfect time to close off the show for now. We still have some things that we didn't quite get to, mainly popularity polls that we'll get to in a future episode. But for now, we've run long enough, so we'll just close off as we usually do with some community shoutouts. And for this episode's community shoutouts, I want to catch up on a lot of videos and video producers that I follow that did some great work towards the end of the year in 2021 whose work I just want to highlight. First among them being that didn't dissuade. He does some great videos covering Pokemon episode by episode. I've been really enjoying his series for a while now. And he just finished Johto's Journeys uh, at the end of last year. And he put out his like top five best and worst lists uh, for his favorite and least favorite episodes of the seasons, doing a good job explaining, like, which episodes he finds really compelling and really liked in the season, which episodes he just, like, didn't glom on to. And a lot of his worst episodes of the seasons aren't, like, really awful episodes, but just episodes he found very boring, and he does a good job explaining why they didn't really stick with him, even though, like, definitely I disagree with him on some of his worst picks, or at least Tanks a Lot is a great episode, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'll always disagree about that episode, that's fun. But yeah, you know what? I, I really like Swade's videos and Pokemon reviews. And I think as Johto Journey's best and worst of lists are great primers to his uh, style of reviewing the series and his coverage of them. I've recommended Johnny's videos, Johnny Tuchelis' videos many times before, and they close out the year on a really strong note with a video covering the revival era of Futurama after previously having done videos on the original Fox era and the Comedy Central era, and I think they did a good job evaluating pretty fairly the strengths and weaknesses of the era. I'm someone who's like, you know, pretty 
generally positive on the Comedy Central era of Futurama. And I think Johnny does a good job of going like, hey, here's some of the stronger episodes. Here's some of the episodes that just don't work. And here's some of the episodes that just kind of didn't leave an impression and did an overall fair assessment. And I generally agree with his assessment that, yeah, I'm just glad the era happened because he produced some bonafide classics. Someone else who I also, you know, have recommended several times before for their incredible video essays is June Rafik Tariq, and he did an incredible Reese's retrospective. Also, one of his last videos of the previous year, that was just a really great look of, like, what made the show so kind of unique in terms of, like, how it handled its cast, and also, it was a very personal video, because it was a show that meant a lot to his brother, so it was, like, him in conversation with his brother all the about, like, what made it so appealing to him, and, like, I really love those back-and-forth moments, and then he, like, kind of made a video that, like, his brother could appreciate and also like just made a found in the show like just so much to appreciate that it was like something that for the first time like made him feel like a kid again almost like in watching the show which i think is a special feeling that was cool to hear him describe but on the subject of recess and other like classic saturday morning watches like toy galaxy is a channel that i've been following for a little bit i'm really getting really into they do big retrospectives on like classic 80s 90s franchises mainly saturday morning cartoon fair series that had a lot of very notable toy merchandise in particular as per their channel name and they basically go through an entire media franchise history for these properties. And one of the most recent videos that I really liked and found really interesting was the retrospective on Fox Kids. And basically how the entire existence of Fox Kids was kind of like just almost a pissing contest between Fox executives and other like networks and companies about wanting to have the most premium kids content after like shows that were produced and originally aired on Fox kept getting taken away from them. And it's a really interesting history of how that kind of sense of rivalry and wanting to be like the premier station to compete with these other stations to like take their shows away from the network kind of fueled the growth of Fox Kids as a brand and as a programming block but then ultimately led to it fizzling away. So that I thought that was a really fun and fascinating retrospective on the block and in general Toy Galaxy's retrospectives are various franchises are really good like their Gundam one is really strong their Saint Seiya one is really strong I really recommend their channel they really do some good retrospectives on a lot of media franchises Tom and Beat, of course, has been very busy talking about JoJo recently, what with Stone Ocean coming out and Jolien ending and also the spin-off mangas coming out. And, you know, there are so many of his videos that I recommend, but definitely, you know, the big ones that I want to highlight are his part six manga to anime differences video, because the part six anime actually has made some, a lot of uh, interesting changes to the original manga, like, especially in certain parts of it, there's been a lot cut out or a lot kind of re uh written in a certain area so i thought it was really interesting and he goes into that in a lot of detail like his comparison video just for this first third is longer than any individual video he's done for entire parts before so it's quite interesting uh, his medium to Julian video was really great, you know, going into like what the title Julian actually means, how that relates thematically to the series and Josuke's character arc and like what Araki's intentions to the part is. So that's just a fantastic piece on Julian as a whole. And of course, his reviews of Crazy Diamond's Neonic Heartbreak and White State's Miscalculation are really great. Like reviews of these new spit JoJo spinoffs, and I think they do a great job of like exploring like what makes them interesting, compelling stories, and cool additions to the JoJo's uh, story and mythos. So highly recommend those. 
Another channel that I don't think I brought up before, but I really enjoy is Real Gems. He does great Simpsons videos, and he did a great ranking of all the Simpsons Christmas specials at Landon last year. And I think Real Gems always does a great job, like doing kind of a good, fair-handed evaluation of like Simpsons seasons. Like I really like his, you know, season by season retrospective videos he does, and like his individual like character profile videos, like his mini reviews and uh, comparisons of different episodes. I think this Christmas special ranking is a good primer to kind of his style of his content, of his Simpsons videos, and it's generally a fun list to go through to see, like, what specials, like, he likes best, and he always has good opinions uh, and good explanations for why he feels a certain way. Uh, Canapa did a really great video on anime industry as a whole last year. Basically, he commented on, like, a video he made a few years ago where we were saying, oh, the anime industry has, like, a bright future, and then he kind of has just returned to it and his previous comments in this video, and it's, like, commenting on, well, here's where points where my speculation panned out well, and here are the points where I kind of missed a mark, and how here's how the industry is kind of going in a negative direction that I didn't foresee. I think it's a good primer encapsulation of, like, kind of some of the problems in the anime industry that kind of were mentioning on this episode in terms of like overwork and poor pay and all this stuff like that and also like trends in terms of like how the international market has affected the industry where resources are going and like how that's affecting the state of production so a very good video always uh Tanaba, you know always has really great insights on the state of the industry as a whole uh, I've been really enjoying Bonsai Pots recently and their Monster Review, you know, to speak of Urasawa stuff, like, they did a great review of Monster recently, like, going over, mainly focused on the early episodes, but then talking about the thematic, uh, the narrative of the story as a whole, exploring the morality of, like, who has the right to take a life, what it really means to make or consider someone a monster. He does a really great job analyzing the core questions of the heart of Monster and, like, great, thoughtful, compelling way. And I really appreciated that video. And Caribou Coon, uh, speaking of other idiots, as I thought it was really interesting, did a great video on like why he he thinks Slam Dunk may have been cancelled, the original Slam Dunk anime. Because obviously the anime ended before they adapted the final match, the final arc of Slam Dunk. Yeah, it was such a popular, successful series. It's a good question why that might have been the case. And he points out like several theories and speculation of what could have contributed to the ending of the series, like whether it could have been interference on the part of Inoue being dissatisfied with the show, uh, dispute over like the state of the manga at the time, and it ending. Like it was a really thoughtful like evaluation of different theories of why the Slam Dunk anime ended and drawing like its most educated guesses and conclusions. So I thought that was a very well researched, well thought out video on that situation. And then finally, and on the subject of Shonen Jump stuff, uh, Ryan Yamis Collector did a great video recently, you know, evaluating the claim of, like, people, you know, a lot of people feeling like, is Shonen Jump canceling too many manga these days? Are too many new series getting canceled before they have a chance to shine? And he basically compiled, like, historical data and made, like, charts like tracking like the rate of how and when series will cancel and basically he found in his results and comparing like decade by decade year over year like generally the trend currently isn't super bad like there aren't really necessarily that many more series that are getting canceled these days and they're actually getting canceled later on average 
in their runs than they were in previous years. Like, the rate of when a series is getting cancelled, like, the average chapter number is much later than it has been in previous years. So, that actually bucks the trend of, like, what a lot of people feel of, like, in terms of, you know, what they perceive as, like, jump cancelling more series more frequently these days. And I think, you know, it's all oftentimes perhaps just the awareness bias of, like, of course, now we can follow everything in jump and we have an awareness of, like, you know, <laughs> everything and when it comes and goes uh, that a lot of people just didn't have before. It's a really well-researched video and you did a lot of great, again, actual data analysis and creating charts and stuff. So I think it's a really great watch. And generally, yeah, like these were just some immaculate videos from like producers, video creators that I really enjoyed following last year that I highly want to recommend, you know, for their work and uh, would encourage you to check out this year as well. And that'll be do it for my community shout outs for this episode. And surely there'll be more great videos and more great folks to shout out in weeks to come this year. But until then, I think we can head up into the wrap up. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, to once again, another very packed news episode. You know, like we mentioned, we we did have one or uh, we had a couple pieces we still haven't covered, but we'll cover those at a later date. Um, but for now, yeah, thank you guys so much again for listening. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off and also uh, plug all of our stuff. So Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lauren Romayasha on Twitter. It's Lauren Romayasha, a variety of places like an image relation, any list, and letterbox. Wherever there's a Lauren Romayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on mangarise.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more in there. That's where also we can find the other podcasts I do. The University of Star Focus podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yushimura, Lum Squad. It's a podcast dedicated to the wonderful wacky world of Ruin Kagashi's University of Star. And, of course, as mentioned before, you know, we've been having a lot of fun covering the manga that's being released by Wiz and the movies under on Crunchyroll. And we're especially excited to talk about this new anime when it comes out and cover that episode by episode and perhaps with a lot of people. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you want all sorts of University of Star discussion and coverage definitely check out Lump Squad on every podcast platform you can think of we're on we're on Apple Podcasts Spotify and Stitcher we're on Twitter at Lump underscore squad we're on YouTube you can just search for our channel name so yeah just look for us if you're interested in hearing more discussion and chatter on your Seatzer especially on anticipation to the new anime and when it comes out because we're definitely going to have a lot of great combos on it and if you like the art I make for our podcast, the illustrations I do, and the art I make, the illustrations, animations I make in general, you can find that on my Instagram at SetArtWorks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts besides this one, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where I have a page dedicated to whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, including past projects I'm not involved in anymore, plus other uh, guest spots and other podcasts. I try to keep that as up to date as possible. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in any of my other podcasts that I'm not going to spend 10 minutes or more uh, going over, uh, you could just visit my personal blog once again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Click on the podcast page. You'll find all my other stuff there. Uh, but as for this podcast, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks at mangamavericks.com. This where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We're at the $2 tier. We upload select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. 
So, for example, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before we're supposed to put it on our main feed, uh, we'll usually put it up on our Patreon first for patrons to listen to first. Um, but admittedly, that really depends on our schedule and how much we have done at any given point. Um, so for more reliable content, you really want to go to our $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Our newest bonus podcast is our big Shonen Jump retrospective, our annual Shonen Jump retrospective that we do every year with our good friend Maxi Bernard from Friendship Ever Victory, uh, where we basically talk about everything we're reading and just our thoughts on the past year of Jump in general. So actually, that podcast in particular, uh, we've actually made available for as low as a dollar. So you don't even have to sign up for a $5 tier to listen to that podcast in particular. Uh, basically because uh, I personally like to make those podcasts as available as possible, not just to entice new patrons, but as a thank you to uh, everyone and anyone who signed up on our Patreon. And yeah, again, you can listen to that three and a half hour podcast for as low as a dollar, which I think is a uh, pretty good deal myself. Uh, so again, you can find all this and more at patreon.com slash mavericks. Uh, any patronage you're able to give us really helps. All the money that we make on our Patreon goes directly back into the show. It helps us pay our hosting costs and everything, buy new equipment, and you know, even, maybe sometimes even buy some manga for the show that we have to review, you know? So, again, we appreciate any patronage you're able to throw at us. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Sign up today. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks, where we have different excerpts of the podcast uploaded, as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mangamavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? What are you reading right now? And especially, what are you reading that you want us to read on the show and talk about? Uh, you know what? Email us anything about manga or the podcast or, you know, just, just email us in general. We love getting emails and we want to read them on the show. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point. And, you know, especially on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a rating and a review as, uh, you know, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys because whatever feedback we get from you, positive or negative, uh, we want to use it to make the show that much better. And yeah, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 186 of the Manga Mavericks podcast. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 187. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.